0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei Avgard, joined in real life by my Ooh. co-host, Artemis Salvosa. Howdy, howdy. And our very special guest, Winter Alabell. How are you guys doing? Uh, as you may be able to tell, we are all in one spot, if that's not clear. This is the first Declarations of War ever recorded with the hosts in the same room. And we are recording it live here at EVE Vegas. It's been a tremendous weekend of... Eve Reveals, I think probably some of the best reveals in recent years, and tremendous social stuff going on. I've met a lot of people uh, I had not met before, and re-met some old friends as well. I think stuff
1: is um, quite the oversimplification there.
0: Oh, we'll get into it, believe me. Uh, Before we get into anything else, I do want to point out the format for this show will be a little bit different. Uh, We are going to talk about the uh, stuff, that they've talked about. We'll get into the stuff. We'll get into the reveals, we'll get into the features, we'll get into the balance changes, get into all the dev bloggy type goodness. Then we'll talk a little bit about our experiences outside the panels and outside the presentations. To try to tell you what it was like to be here in Vegas this year. Normally we would do an interview with Winter, but because we have so much to bring to you, uh, we're gonna bring her back on in a future episode and get more into her and her history with MC. Right now, I'd just like to introduce Winner as a member of BDCI. She's a combat pilot, a very damn good one. Winner, say hi to the fine folks out there. Hi, guys. How you guys? How's do Let's get to some shout-outs to the people who made it possible for me to be here this year. Artemis, of course, thank you very much for allowing me to be in your room. Uh, thank you to Cassidy and Greb for giving me the staff of the room. And thank you for Dell for taking me about half the way here to Vegas and taking me to the airport so I can get out of here. <laughs> uh, without these guys, it would not have been possible for me to come. Just the way things worked out this year, I wasn't able to save up for Vegas like I normally would. So mm-hmm. our family came through and made everything happen.
1: So much love to them. My shout-out is going to be to my courtmate, Ed Silver. We made a, um, a, a bit of a T-shirt commemorating a certain historical event in MC. <laughs> And uh, his help in allowing me to design the thing allowed it to be the success that it was. So, shout out to you, Ed.
2: I would like to shout out uh, to my alliance, Mercenary Coalition. Uh, It's been an amazing two years with these dudes. Um, We've been through uh, a lot, both Heaven and Hell, and it's the guys who log in every day that are with you every day that make this event so special uh Vegas would not be Vegas without my alliance
0: yeah mc
1: rolled deep this year a
0: lot of a lot of mc we folks we had
1: 48 total in our alliance photo wow we don't know where five random people came from but they're there <laughs> <laughs> and how much of that was more? i think we had eight uh seven nice. i think was the final tally uh plus del's wife right oh indeed that makes eight. Yep.
0: Shout out to all the Sarahs in the world, mine and Dell. <laughs> Everybody needs a Sarah, as he says. It's quite true. All right, first off, let's get into some features. We've had one, I would say, bombshell. Uh, this is a literal game changer. Um, Alpha clones are undergoing a dramatic change. Uh, whereas previously, or as you know them now, Alpha clones can train just under 5 million skill points. They're locked into the race that they start with. And that tops them out at cruisers, destroyers, that kind of thing. No longer. Uh, Beginning very soon, we are going to have alphas that can fly up to battleships of any race. And
1: use Tech 2 weapons. And one caveat to that is Tech-2 weapons up to cruiser weapons. They cannot use Tech-2 battleship weapons, and that includes heavy and sentry drone. So yes. no Alpha VNI alts, no Alpha T2 weapon battleship fleets, but Artie abatons, Artie materials with triple trimark rigs, by all means. Yep, yeah, and it's worth
0: noting they did call out that potentially they could add the Tech 2 Battleship stuff down the line. They just weren't ready to make that call right now. Um, so they, you will be able to, I believe, train just under 20 million skill points now as an alpha? Um,
1: well, there's a caveat there. So you can train for free up to 5 million skill points. Once you've reached that limit, you can no longer train for free. So you can either skill inject or you can play for Omega time. And CCP mentioned that they're looking to add new options for adding smaller increments of Omega time, which is interesting. Um, But basically, once you've skilled 5 million skill points as an Alpha, you can no longer train anymore. You have to pay through some other means to train more skill points. But once you lapse back into Alpha state, you can still access up to this 20 million skill point of quote-unquote Alpha skills. Right. So you'll have to be an Omega at some point.
0: Or I guess Skill Inject would be an option. Um, I think this is going to be very huge for returning players. Obviously, they have many of these skills trained already, so when they come back, they won't be locked into a Vexor. (laughs) Uh, They'll be able to fly most ships of the line for a given Doctrine. Obviously, not as well, but functionally, the same tank. I think will still be the same because they get tech to tank modules. They'll
1: be lacking a lot of the support skills, right? So alpha skills don't include max outfitting skills. They don't Mm -hmm. include a lot of the support skills for like your armor or shield compensations or your capacitor skills, which are incredibly important. Um, So it'll be interesting. They certainly won't be quite as effective. I'd say probably 75 to 80% effective maximum just based on the core skills that they'll be missing. But they can certainly still participate.
0: Yep, and participate in very meaningful ways because they'll have... I mean, if they have Tech 2 weapons, they'll be able to get to Tech 2 ranges. Scorch, yeah. for instance, will be a thing. Um, tech 2 ammo not as important on hybrids, but they'll be able to kick out some mean damage with uh, uh, with Void. So. I'm quite curious to see how Faction Warfare is going to use this.
2: If I remember correctly, Galmill used Alpha uh, clones very... Um, very well during their battle against Kalmyl. That's why they took back most of their space. So now that these Alpha clones have all of these wider range of ships and weapons, how is that going to influence faction warfare? Um, There's a bunch of corps that specifically take Alpha clones Mm -hmm. and teach them to PvP.
1: Not anymore. Um, The majority of the, well, the Alpha clone centric corps, so when it first came out, you had like waffles, or pardon me pancakes that came out the pan fan version <laughs> you had you <laughs> um, man you had MC which brought out Mercenary Academy you had a couple of other groups which brought out alpha centric um, groups and it's interesting that the majority of those have died out mostly because the number of alphas which the player base expected to come in just weren't there and so these groups didn't grow large enough to self-sustain. I think Mm. Mercenary Academy is the only quote-unquote alpha-centric corporation that is still out there and actively recruiting. All the rest of them have folded into their parent organizations. I believe
0: Mercenary Academy is not...
1: Dedicated to alphas It trains anybody. It's I'd not, but uh, there are a significant number of people who come back to the game as alphas. They get into mercenary academy and then they decide, okay, I can dig this. I'll go to omega, or we get new alphas who come in, and we'll take them as alphas, and then very quickly they will train into and get into an omega. Yeah. So, It'll
2: be something interesting to see for sure.
0: Yeah, we've heard a lot of speculation from people here at the event about entire Alpha Doctrines, Alpha Alts designed to fly these Doctrines, stashing Alpha Doctrines and Alpha Alts in various points of space. It'll be like the new Dread Cache. I I have doubts about how realistic some of those (laughs) discussions are, but it's an interesting concept.
1: If the player base remembers how much aids it was to manage the 24-hour skill queue, there's no way people (laughs) are going to do this for freaking Alpha Alts again. Like, that's not happening. If somebody manages to do it, hats off to you, but I'm not that insane. <laughs> I think one thing it will change is the amount of support that these new organizations give
0: their alphas. If you know that your alphas could get into a battle cruiser, if you, for instance, gave them a Plex or gave them some skill injectors, I think that opens up uh, a pretty strong incentive for groups that do recruit alphas to go, okay, we, you know, it's... It's an organizational imperative for us to get these guys up to the 20-mil skill cap, because mm-hmm. once they get there, they're self-sustaining, right? Like You don't need to keep feeding them flex. You just need to give them enough to get to 20-mil. Yeah. So, you know, how much flex is that? It's probably yeah. not
1: that much for a group like Goon Swarm, or a group like Brave, or a group like Test. Or you could do something like, they, they don't have to play for game time. So, if they're in an organization like Goons, like... XYZ, where they have SRP for participating in combat ops, then all of the income that they gain is either going to personal use ships or it's going to skill injectors to Plex to train. So, because they're alphas, they don't have to care about meeting that Plex requirement every month, but certainly any excess income they have can very easily be going to getting them those extra skill points. So, you wouldn't even have to commit as an organization to paying for your alphas SP because they don't have many other outlets for what little income they get
0: well you know well
1: yeah, I guess it depends because you know
0: your organization is probably buying them ships already Indeed. Um, so that's that's a good point but at the same time you may just want to encourage them down the, down right. the right path you're like don't buy that skin <laughs> or fine buy that skin but here's a plex tube please train the ferox now. <laughs> So I I wouldn't be shocked. Um, But I think it will definitely have implications for returning players. Uh, Definitely implications for EVE combat. Uh, No longer alpha is going to be in the throwaway tackle ships. You're going to start seeing them in line DPS. Um, It's going to increase demand for these, which is great for the mineral market at a time when we're about to have a big injection of supply. Um, Or at least interest in mining in general. Um, The mineral supply may remain relatively static, but I think we'll a lot more people mining, so it makes sense that it may go up. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be the age of T1, I think <laughs> is the big highlight there. Uh, so that's the, the groundbreaking change. That's the headline. We also had some other big releases, uh, some of it just reconfirming things that have already been talked about, uh, particularly in the structures front. But I think we should get into them anyway, because they... Basically said all the right things to the flyer base, <laughs> made some nerds very happy. Uh, they're changing citadels. They're adding an active and an inactive state. The active state will be if they're if they have at least one service module that is being fueled. If it's inactive, then it loses a timer and loses resistances, make that much easier to take down. Even if it is active, it's now going to be attackable all the time. So, sort of going back to the POS model. Uh, Winter, you've been engaged in some some <laughs> Citadel combat recently. Uh, I, how do you see this playing out in terms of the tactics?
2: I think it's great. Uh, I have never seen. I think the applause in that room was the highest uh, <laughs> at the entire Vegas. Uh, Citadels definitely favored the defender so much that it was easier for the defender just to drop a new structure then for the attacker to destroy uh, an existing one. Um, A lot of space that was once hard to reach and easily defendable suddenly became very easy to reach and uh, very hard to defend um, or very hard to invade just because of the citadel spam. Uh, It definitely changed faction warfare where you could put your citadels behind your enemy lines and and instead of being locked out of uh, your faction your opposing faction station, you had pretty much tether and dock market anywhere in faction space. So um, these, def- these changes were definitely well received. Um, I am very encouraged to finally go out and do some more civil structure bashing because um, it's get two timers if it's offline, most people drop them and forget it. Um, and then not having to do the three 24 hour or two 24 hour and then a week long, uh, wait to get that thing finally killed, so I'm hopeful, I'm excited. No more <laughs> Void Bombs, so we can finally see some Whoa, new Doctrines. We're, we're
1: jumping the gun here. No, no
0: bring it on, but what are they
2: changing? Uh, so, uh, no Void Bombs, uh, so it's um, definitely going to change, uh, it's going to increase the variety of Doctrines that people choose to attack the Citadels with. My were the ultimate choice because capitalist guns, and you could just passive fit them. Um, so they were very easy to use, very fast, very tanky. Um, and now we can finally see something, um, a little more original, a little more, um, a little more out of the box because we don't have to deal with a 40 kilometer range that completely caps everyone out. Um, yeah, they also talked about having more, uh, structure fighters that are Mm -hmm. specific to just Citadels and beefier ones. Exactly. And new point defense modules for the IQ stars, um, not uh, super weapons. Yeah,
0: yeah. super weapons. So. so so right now the Keepstar has one super weapon. If you haven't, most of our listeners will not have fought one of these things, but it's essentially a chain reaction. Uh, it shooted it at one ship, does a massive amount of damage, and then bounces uh, like a chain lightning type thing, which is all well and good. Uh, but now they're getting a Titan-specific weapon. Now added to that mix... Uh, <laughs> the gtfo GTFO, also known as the hand of god uh my favorite of the titan super weapons i don't know why it's not used more often (laughs) it's fun as hell it just takes a it's like a micro jump unit a micro jump uh like the micro jump destroyer unit an area of effect micro jump except instead of putting people 100 kilometers in the direction that your ship was headed it puts them somewhere in the system. randomly at any point in the solar system. They could be dozens of light years away from the fight and now have to find their way back. Um which is pretty fun. Uh very disruptive for fleets, especially if you cut them in half. Suddenly the logistics wing is one place <laughs> going, Hey, where do battleships go?
1: Indeed.
0: So, uh the battleships of course are then trapped and die quite rapidly. Um So that's going to be mixed. Uh, It was asked whether they'd have to pick between the two. It seems like they could use both. Uh, So stars will have both options at the same time.
2: I think the most positive change in all of this was the inactive active states just because it's really OP just to have this pretty much online dockable station anywhere, um, pretty much in the universe, that is very hard to remove. And um, it's really too easy to the defenders and not enough to the attackers. So I'm really encouraged by the balance that they have decided to set strike with it.
1: So yeah. really quickly, we did skip over a few changes. Number one... Um, now before maybe, we go to other changes, so the one
0: only other thing that would be better for an active state is if they disabled tethering model at active
1: too.
0: And we'll get that down the line. That'd be nice.
1: And they did specifically mention looking into that, but there was some reason which they could not do So the the reason
0: that they listed for not messing with tethering generally is because changes to the tethering mechanic to make it more restrictive uh, are really difficult to communicate to players. If you were to, for instance, add a mass limit, okay, I could tether with this one ship, but not this other ship. All these other ships are tethered. How do I know if my ship will be the one that that can't tether to it because I'm going over some kind of limit? Well, They I mean, haven't figured out a, uh, like an elegant way to let players know what they can and can't do with the tether mechanic if they were to make it more restrictive than any ship could tether
1: there. My counter-argument to that would simply be wormholes. I mean, if you're doing a mass limit, you're literally talking exactly what wormhole mechanics are. So if wormholes you think are a good thing, then it sounds like that's perfect to use for tethering as well. But granted, wormholes were supposed to be quote-unquote spooky, so maybe they want tethering to be a bit more straightforward. Um, in any case, getting back to the changes that we skipped, in addition to the GTFO, they're looking at adding the super carrier um, launched EOR effect type thing. So this will be replacing the void bomb. Indeed. Replacing the void bomb, they also mentioned uh, things like target painting, webbing, bubbling was one which they were looking at adding. They didn't say for certain they would, but it certainly got a number of cheers from the crowd, and so Fozzie got a big old smile on his face. <laughs> so I think seems- it's coming. <laughs> that seems positive. Yeah. Um, And then, we mentioned the Void Bombs were going away, moving backwards a little bit more, the timers. We mentioned that the first timer, you could shoot it anytime, full 24 hours, exactly like a pause, exactly like a Poco. Moving a little bit away from what the pause mechanics were and towards the Poco, now for the second, the Armor Timer, which is the one that goes away if your Citadel is in the inactive state, if it has no online service module. This particular... um, a reinforcement timer will come out at a time chosen by the defenders. So when they anchor the thing, they'll choose a time at which, during their prime time, presumably, they want this second timer to come out, and then it will occur at least 24 hours after the initial reinforcement. All right. so if they attack it at, like, 1,200
0: and you set it to 22, it'll be... The next 1,200, and then 22 after that, so practice 34 hours.
1: Indeed. So the maximum you could have is like 47 hours. The minimum you could have is 24. Yep. And um, then the final timer occurs on both the day and the time which the defenders choose. So once again, when they're setting up their citadel, they would choose a day on which they would like the final timer to exit up to a maximum, which changes depending on the space that you're in. For high sec, it will be seven days. For low and null sec, it will be five days. And then for wormholes, to the joy of many in the crowd, it will be three days. <laughs> so that is a very interesting change.
2: Uh, it's actually one day for wormholes. One day. Pardon yes. me.
1: Yeah, three days total the for the finished. reinforcement yeah. and kill of a structure in wormholes. Pardon me. Very good. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, it's, just, it's just great for the wormholers. Uh, it seems weird that the it's going to be seven days for high sec. That seems like a long time. That would put it past the one week of wardeck. You know, I was just thinking about that, how that was going, how wardeck cycle would fit in all of that, so... It sounds like you're going to have to wardeck people for two weeks if you want to kill the Citadel. Pretty cool? much. But uh, they did mention that this change will undo an exploit where you can essentially get two to three weeks of Citadel vulnerability in high sec, so step in the right direction, Uh, still seems a little extreme, but uh, I guess, you know, if you want to attack citadel, you get to pay for it a
1: little bit. Well, and one thing to note is the way that you would discover what these timers are. So if you're an attacker looking to shoot a citadel, you obviously want to know what time you're going to have to come back for the second timer before you kill the thing off or before you do the shield reinforcement, and then what day you have to come back for the final timer, again, before you go through the trouble of the armor timer. And CCP put out the ideas of maybe it'll be in the show info window. Maybe we want to have you hack the thing. So you have to be on grid and actively acquire that information. And maybe when you do that hack, it lets the defenders, the people who own the Citadel, know that you've done this so people can know if somebody's scouting out their structures and maybe about to launch an attack.
0: Uh, they also and, mentioned possible interactions with the ship scanner. It was brought up by players, but CCP reacted very warmly to it, particularly Fozzy. So indeed that could be a direction they go a little unclear still on the details here. And
1: the reason I bring this up is now it means that when you attack is important, right? You mentioned it will take two weeks to reinforce the citadel in HISEC. And what I would say to that is it very much depends on when you do the initial reinforcement. So if you do the initial reinforcement, if you choose your time poorly then it will take longer, right? If you do your first reinforcement just after the date and time that the defenders have chosen for the final timer, then you're waiting a full two weeks, minus one or two hours. So it will very much be uh, a result of the attackers choosing wisely when to attack that will give determine how long the defenders have to prepare or how long you have to keep a war deck running.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I'm surprised they didn't have, well, maybe they do have it, but just we're not going to talk about it. I'm surprised they didn't have that figured out ahead of time considering the patch is coming really soon. So if maybe it's a follow, fast follow that they add more ways to do this, and maybe, maybe they just go with the show info window type thing and launch.
1: It could just be that they're looking for player feedback. I mean, it's yeah, something yeah. where if they went with just the show info window, then you got a vocal minority perhaps. It's like, yo... This is like some super critical information. Why is it just being given out for free? Didn't that seem like something the owner of the structure would want to keep hidden? And uh, I certainly think that giving the structure owners a notification when somebody hacks the thing as sort of a warning, hey, somebody is about to shoot your stuff, is an interesting mechanic because it gives me one more way to annoy a bunch of people <laughs> running around because the things are always invulnerable, which we should talk about. Uh are they can. They're always vulnerable, so they can always point and scram. And uh, CCB mentioned they're planning on making changes to the scram modules.
0: Yeah, they may tone down some of the strength there, but I hope not too much. Um, it, there's got to be a slight balance there, and you want potentially to have some combat on these things. Like you used to be able to fight on top of stations, and in L-SAC, it used to be a like bait people in the undock kind of thing. You still want to be able to do that and not lose your whole fleet. But at the same time, if somebody's fucking with your pass equivalent, you know, you want to be, you, to prevent trolling, you want to have some consequence to that. They need to commit a little bit and at least be a little bit afraid they're about to die. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there and how they approach it, whether it's a strength thing or a range thing or something. Um, but it does have to be manually activated. They're not changing that. So. Indeed. You still need to actually have a character. At least one person has to be there and knows what the, what and they're doing, so they can come take with control. Rights. Yes, and so they can take control, take control of the guns, actually fight back. It's not going to be like a pass where it's always on. Even though passes, the whole reason that passes had automated defenses was because they could be attacked all the time. So that's a a paradigm shift for CCP that previously they weren't willing to do this kind of thing because they didn't want to have a situation where you could be attacked without being able to respond.
1: I think the key difference here is the ability of the defenders to choose a date and time at which they can set up and make their final stand. With mm-hmm. pauses, sure, you had a window of time based on the strong timer, but there's no guarantee that you have a dude on to go and change that, because again, there's role restrictions there within court. And furthermore, it's a much shorter time span for defenders to prepare. Yeah, sort of I
0: I'm, like it. No, yeah. Overall, I'm, I'm down. I uh, just want to say I hope they don't remove that feature completely, because like I said, an attacker should commit at least a little bit. Uh, as much as I would love to dunk people on the Undock of their Outposts, I realize that's not a power fantasy that you're allowed to go <laughs> and check.
1: On the topic of Outposts, CCP mentioned the shift of the change from outpost to Faction Citadels mm-hmm. from the winter to quarter one 2018, which is interesting to know.
0: Yeah, so we can get into this. They talk a lot about the timetable. Uh, uh, basically, have revamped the timeline for the structures feature, as they call them, structures 2.0 now, in terms of a roadmap. This is the consequence for the player feedback actually being listened to. Um, you know, if we wanted changes to how Citadel reinforcement was going to work, it came at a cost, and the cost was. The faction citadels, basically the conversion between outposts, to faction citadels, has now been put off for an additional cycle. Still happening, but months later than anticipated. And it's probably pushed all the um, all the structure-related things back quite a bit. Uh, which is not to say that it's a, a bad trade. Uh, I think it's perfectly fine, um, but it is something to keep in mind. Looks like the next thing on the roadmap after this. Are probably going to be some replacement for. Uh, well, actually, they named it specifically Sino Jammers, um, Jump Beacons, and. One other post structure that's escaping me, tied related to saw.
1: I hope. No, that was. So, the one you're talking about is Stargates. No, no, no. Well, Stargates may replace Jump Bridges. For and sure. the Sino Jammers, they said they would like to integrate into it as well. But I can't remember the third Possibly. thing which they had. They said identified. that there
0: would be an administrative hub, which would replace a lot of the features of the iHub. Mm-hmm. And then there would be Stargates, which would replace a lot of the features of the jump bridge. Where Siner Generators and Sino Jammers fit into that could realistically be in either one. Um, Indeed. If they put it into the Stargates, that would accelerate the rate at which they could remove process entirely because of the, the final structures before the removal. But does it make sense to have your Stargate be your
1: Sino Generator and your Sino Jammer? Well, presumably like the Stargates are combination of Sino Generator and Jump Ridge, right? That's where they go. As for Sino Jammer, I get your point there. Um, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is also the advertisement arrays, which they mentioned as the moderate-term or directly in their moderate-term roadmap, as yeah. well as the Stargates and the administration hub. Yeah, so those are the three things are coming next. Observatory
0: arrays kind of got left out, so
1: dashed Alex's hopes and dreams.
0: I I asked the follow up in the in the round table. I was like, hey, I basically said kind of conspicuous by their absence. So what's going on here? Are they removed? Do you still see a a role for an intelligence gathering structure? And CCP responded, or Fozzie took the question directly. Um, He was very excited about the kind of gameplay that an observatory array could bring. But, you know, especially when you think about the priority of removing bosses, uh, realistically, it's going to be after all this stuff that we've just talked about. Um, And it seems like the the billboards or the advertisement-type structures, uh, I know, Winter, you saw... um, I saw a number of things. <clears throat> you went to the art panel, so you sort of saw proof of concept of these.
2: Uh, yeah, Some. Uh, one of these things looked like, um, looked like a mini- miniature ash house that the Alliance logo was projected on. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I really liked were the structures that um, were like banners, and your Alliance logo was like this long banner that was hanging off uh, out of space. I don't know exactly where you could put these, um, but just. I'm imagining as you jump into your region that you have saw that your entire banner is around the gate and announcing that uh, you're here in your home. so sweet. <laughs> um, one thing that was really interesting were herald drones, so drones that projected your image somewhere. So, And um, maybe you want to talk about this a little bit later, but the Alliance logos on ships.
0: I'll talk about it in a, in a bit. Well, that was pretty cool. I was like really happy
2: for that, as well as like everyone there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so there there may be a lot of sluggers on ships. That could be like a thing. <laughs> uh, they look like banners thrown across the back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's on you said it was on Imgur where you could find more where did you find the pictures you're showing your Um name? it was on Eve Reddit. It was on one of the
2: threads
1: about the art panel and yeah, you have to go there to take a look but certainly it will be in the recordings of the art presentation. Yes. Huh? Um
0: but I think that's most notable, the fact that CCP's talking about it, and actually it looks
1: like they may have a way to do it, whereas prior they've been avoiding that subject like the plague. Mm-hmm. And on a similar note, skins for citadels, they did mention once again that it's difficult because skins currently in their iteration are attributed to players as opposed to corporations. So a citadel, which is corporation-owned, is a bit more tricky to handle a skin, which is player-owned which is their excuse. But,
0: I mean, there's there's pressure to change that, too. I mean, t makes a lot of money
1: through skins. Yeah, like they specifically said they'd love to do it, but this is the current roadblock blocking
0: it. Well, we'll see. Uh, Observation arrays, though, got to be pushed back past all this stuff. Uh, It looks like they've made a lot of progress, at least from the art. Um, And thematically, they consider TCUs kind of like this already, uh, a sort of... uh, player presence structure, a branding structure. Hey, I'm here in space. Exactly. So, they've got progress on this. It looks like it's not going to be too much extra stuff for them to just kind of belt that out. Everything else is related to the removal of passes. Observation Arrays, or the the Intelligence Array, however you want to think about it. It's kind of like the redheaded stepchild. It seems like CCP really wants one. But <laughs> just kind of the afterthought. Which is a shame, too, because it's the coolest concept in this entire thing. So he ran, uh, Fozzie went through a couple things at the roundtable of like what these things might do. They haven't designed any of this. So this is the disclaimer. This is like the earliest, wildest fantasies in Fozzie's mind of what these things could be. But things that he mentioned are possible interactions with local Possible interactions with the map and the kind of information you can get from the map, either restricting it or maybe giving you more. Um, possibly uh, something to do with probing, uh, particularly for other players, particularly for players that are cloaked, perhaps.
1: Um,
0: unclear again how any of this would work, but it seemed to, the way he framed it was not cloaked players, but AFK cloaked players. So. Perhaps something that there's counterplay on the prober end that they can move or, or do something to be prevented from being detected. Kind of have a cat and mouse game going on between the observation array operator and the cloaker in the system would be kind of neat. Um, and then something which I guess is not quite as conceptually sexy as messing with the map, but I think has a lot of interesting uses, a really detailed log of the things going on in the system, uh, which... kind of open to interpretation, didn't really go into detail, but things that I think about are maybe who came in, who went out, what gates they came in on, what ships they were in, did they dock, where did they dock, how long did they stay in, did they log off here, did they not log off here, Uh, was it a log in, did they come in through no gate, maybe that means a wormhole is now in the system. Um, Maybe it tells you if they're mining or if they're ratting or doing something else, if probes are out, who's probes? There's a lot of information that you could get about what happens in a system that you can't really get through .land or the map. So adding that extra level of detail could unlock some really interesting things, especially if you could then export that
1: data, but only if you own the thing, as opposed to a public API. and, And while we're on the topic of logs and new information that we haven't had access to before, we should definitely mention personal mining ledger
0: that's so <laughs> the mining killboard.
1: the mining killboard is actually happening you've seen the mock-ups uh the parody if you will the satire on the e-reddit however ccp is making it possible because now accessible to you and through your api if you are willing to give that to others will be exact statistics on what how much and when you mine anything from three months previous to this recording into the future. So the mining killboard can and almost certainly will happen. Uh, Fuzzworks, I forget the guy's name. Fuzzy Steve. Fuzzy Steve, thank you, has already mentioned that he intends to put something together to the effect of a mining killboard. Once again, it will be available through your API, but it's important to know you don't have to give that away if you don't want to. Um, although, everybody died. There. <laughs> yeah. So goons, if you want to show off and say, I "Already mine that Titan back," now's your time to prove it. Um, <laughs> the miners will now have E.P. that they can weigh for it.
0: <laughs> it's gonna be so hilarious. <laughs> what would be the mining equivalent of losses? Um, like missed cycles from roids popping in the counter? <laughs> I don't even know. Well, that's I definitely would, some interesting well, stuff. Well, I guess
1: we could look at how long or how much you mined at a given period of time, what ship, because presumably it would tell you what ship you're using to mine. That's one thing you mentioned, that Cribble would be able to say, I have the most amount mined in a dreadnought. And so <laughs> Do we know if it's going to go into
2: that much detail?
1: Well, that's what Fozzie mentioned, so I presume so. It's going to have some freaking awesome graphs, I know that, and I couldn't quite see in the presentation. I'll have to take a look at the recording. Uh, but it looked like from the spreadsheet that was directly available in-game, there was enough information there to include the ship and the module you were using. So I would certainly hope so, and it seems to me, based on Flau's personal remarks, that this will be the case. That would be
0: quite interesting. <laughs> um, speaking of mining, this is a good opportunity to transition into all the information we got about moon mining, which is really interesting stuff. Uh, so as we all know, moon Mining Reband is happening, we know about the refineries now, we know that moons are going to be re-randomized as part of this process. What we learned is that there's, we learned a little bit about the details of how this redistribution is going to work. No longer will you, the quality of moon be determined by its proximity to empire, or have the probability affected by that, that's not going to be a factor. We also know that there's going to be mining in high-sec, but only of regular ores, not moon ores. But you can access the new mining mechanic in terms of the drill, and it pops the thing, and there's a special belt, and all that stuff.
1: It's worth noting that the ore which will come out of these mined moons will be a new plus 15% output variant. So it will be very valuable ore. In the sense that you're getting much more minerals out of the ore than a typical ore would, right?
0: Uh, and that's was that. Uh, so there's also going to be this uh, war stuff happening in wormholes. Indeed, wasn't quite clear to me. Although maybe it was clear to either of you. Uh, is the plus fifteen percent variant going to be wormhole specific? Because that's it's sort of what to I walked away with.
1: Is what I walked away with. Both. Okay.
0: I'm seeing when I'm not. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's that's fine. Um, so we'll see slightly higher high sec production, uh, especially given the number of moons out there. Yeah. Also, there's a <clears throat> there's a chance to get a jackpot
1: ore. Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, as you know, when you drill, you, you can set the timer for extraction for one to eight weeks. Uh, but when you actually crack the ore open, there is a chance you get some special and very rare minerals and that will be uh, you'll get notified that only when you ex- you pop it and it will be a different color different effect that mm-hmm. looks amazing
0: yeah we got to actually see the explosion yes.
2: looks pretty dang. <laughs> so that's really interesting as well and it kind of changes um, it kind of changes the distribution a little bit because not only do you have maybe you have like an R R32 equivalent we also have a chance to get some R64 equivalent in there as well. So people who may think that they kind of left out on the moon draw will get chances uh, to get a little bit better ore.
0: But that said, Fozzie did make it clear in the roundtable that there's still going to be, just like now, a ton of moons that are practically worthless. Uh, the equivalent of silicates and evaporate deposits. <laughs> That's not going away completely. Um, he said that expect to have the vast majority of moons still considered not really worth mining. Um, but that said, there's going to be ones that are, and there's the chance of this jackpot. Um, so some people may still want to plop refineries down on maybe not so great moons, just in the off chance they get a jackpot I mean, that could be better.
1: Certainly it, it's going to be a function of the fuel requirements for the module, right. which is used to do the moon mining. And before we get too far away, you mentioned that there are a lot of moons in high sec, but it's important to note that moon mining is only coming to, at least right now, 0.5 systems of HiSec, right. only the very lowest security band of HiSec. And furthermore, they're going to 0.4 systems in LOSEC, which previously moons weren't available to be mined there. Right. Recently, they were changed to be allowed. CP, CCP is just reaffirming they will be available in 0.4.
0: Yep. And once again, just not bury the lead, there will not be moon mining in wormhole space. Indeed. Which is a huge change. Um, I, we asked Fozzie, well, I asked Fozzie a little bit about um, the value of, well, so, someone asked. Someone else in the roundtable asked Fozzie about the relative value of the moons. Um, Fozzie mentioned that there is going to be some variation of these moons. You'll have like a base variant and like a higher end variant seems 20% is going to be the range of like the lowest variation of that moon to the best. So if you do get an r 64 equivalent, you know, there's going to be still some range of quality in there, but it's not going to be too great. On that, I asked him about whether space might be too flat. There's only 20% difference between the best and not the best moons. He clarified that that wasn't the difference between the total value of these moons, some variations within them and that there will still be racial-ish variations on things so that sections of space will have certain types of materials and other sections of space will have other types of materials just exactly like it is now um and that because they're randomly redistributing there is a likelihood although obviously it's not predictable that there will be a best region of moons Just because this is the one that happens to have all the good stuff uh, as determined by the market, probably.
1: Or at least the good stuff in high enough proportions. Right, with high enough quality and and that kind of thing.
0: Uh, Still some concern around Moons as far as alliances being able to actually capture that value. Like I said, um, there's no guarantee that people mining it, even if they're in your alliance, will actually give you that ore. Or that that they'll use your, if you're doing it for public use, that they'll use your refinery to mine it. They did clarify that you'll be able to compress the new ore types. You will not be able to compress moon goo, although they are reducing the volume of goo generally. Um, Unclear on exact numbers, didn't go into that level of detail, but they said the overall intent is that Especially for the high-end stuff that they're using your refinery, or at least a refinery system, whether it's yours or not,
1: to get the value out of the thing. Um, Another plays out in practice. Another important thing to mention is because people are going to be plopping down refineries in one specific location. Any moon has a specific beacon, and around the range around that beacon is where you can pop a refinery and activate the moon mining module. Uh, you don't want somebody being able to snipe a rea- or a uh, facility a refinery into that spot on some moon you want to mine. And so CCP is adding, after you launch a citadel before it goes into its 24 hour anchoring period, there will be a 15 minute window of vulnerability mm-hmm. such that come patch day you're looking to set up a new moon refinery in your system. Somebody from a hostile alliance or coalition cannot come in there pop a small one down, and suddenly you can't access that moon for 24 hours or more.
0: Yeah, so if you're on the ball, uh, and this isn't just for the refineries, this Indeed. is all. So, uh, <laughs> the Goon Swarm tactic and tribute of <laughs> plopping down, what was it? 10 Astro Houses a day? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe one would survive by the end of the week. Yeah. Uh, so, if you're able to actually catch them doing that in the first 15 minutes, you can right. just go wipe it without having to worry about follow up well, timers, which is nice.
2: I want to see the first uh, code ganking moon miner. I think mm. that'd be cool.
0: Oh, uh, they're very predictable, there. right? Because you're going to be able to tell within a certain time frame of when that yeah. that thing's going to get popped. So. They're probably going to have to issue
2: moon mining permits now.
1: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the price of those mining permits just went <laughs> up. As <laughs> for whether or not they'll honor them, uh, <laughs> I'm not entirely certain. I don't know what
0: you're implying. <laughs> Uh, one more point I have down here in redistribution we you talk about is that prior uh, I didn't know this but it makes sense in hindsight there is some bias given toward areas further away from HiSec in terms of the quality of their moons when the seeding happened uh, in this reshuffling that variable will not be a thing so every system like from point four onward is going to have an equal chance. It's not going to be the case where low-sec systems are slightly undervalued compared to others. could have some interesting implications for how much null-sec entities pay attention to low-sec, especially now that you have to actively mine any moon you take. Uh, we'll see. It may require a lot of effort to get these things. Uh, I think they mentioned it'll be about a colossal and a half's worth of ore, mm-hmm. which is a lot. But some alliances can go through that really quickly. Well, It's
1: also worth noting they announced the rigs, which will come out with these structures and the bonuses that they will have, as well as the bonuses for the structures themselves. And there are two rigs in particular which affect this particular topic. One which the Oracle miners rejoice will, you'll get the same amount of ore, but that ore will be less spread out, so Hmm. less drone travel time between rocks, etc., and the other one is there is a rig which will directly affect the amount of ore that pops out when this moon chunk explodes. So there is a rig which will directly affect how much ore you get out when you are moon mining. And another one which affects the time frame, extending it. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, giving you a little
0: more flexibility there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the meta is for that, as it plays out. Um, that's it on the, the moon mining structures. Let's move into the GC stuff. Shift balancing. Ooh. Um, Not a lot of surprises in the ship balancing thing until the end. They talked about um, the past that's going on for Lifeblood, which we've covered in the show. Uh, Shout out to the Dragoon pilots, or people that that wanted to be Dragoon pilots but knew better. It's (laughs) such a cool
1: ship, but it's just garbage right now.
0: Cool ship concept. It's finally getting a little up. Uh, arbitrator changes? Yes. What do you think are the impact of that? Um, definitely more fitting room, uh, longer lock speed, uh, the Bellicose
2: is gonna get this as well so the bonuses they get the weapon disruption and target painters are finally gonna pay off because they can lock a little farther out. Um, I was really impressed with how they did the balance in general. They weren't just going to change uh, random stats, um, but as you, um, Alec is going to talk about each they're going to make each individual ship class shine in a little bit shine in each individual way which I thought was really impressive so yeah the ship balancing was way overdue um is getting a little nerf Tristan's yeah. getting a little nerf so I'm I'm always excited to see out of the box fitting concepts and different fleets that run around so it's not going to be your standard standard uh
0: Galante Master Race it's much longer I've talked about the need for more League of Legends style balancing of like, tuning down ships that are OP in their class, bringing up ships that are underrepresented in their class. And I know a lot of people hate that Eve shuffles around like that, and I can understand why, because you do invest a lot in Doctrines. But at the same time, it, it keeps the game fresh. Definitely keeps the game fresh. Vexor is losing 100 power grid. Right. It radically changes how you approach that ship and makes you kind of reevaluate the rest of the cruiser class. If right. so the geez. Vexer is no longer the bar, what comes in? My personal pick after these changes is going to be the Omen. I think we're going to see a lot more Omen. Yes.
1: Uh, now, what about the changes to the Omen makes you think that it's going to gain that right. top spot?
0: Uh, well, their goal is to make it a lot more like the Omen Navy issue, which is one of the more popula- popular Navy cruisers, especially for soloing. Uh, I think if you take the Omen Navy issues concept of a fast armor ship that's got like some flexible mid slots and then you cut the cost away and make it alpha player I mean omen navies I guess are still alpha player accessible, but now like on a cost level as well. Uh, and then you take out the projection power of a Vexer, which can project damage at the forty five no problem. I think it makes a mid-range kiting doctrine like, say, an Omen with two pulse lasers with Scorch. Uh, suddenly, it's
1: that's actually pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Did they and it's a nice counter
0: to the Caracal, which has an
1: EM hole. So did they announce they're changing the bonuses? Because the big thing with the Omen Navy issue is its range bonus. That's what allows it to use Scorch and the like at long point ranges in order to very effectively apply to small ships. You could utilize range decrease transverse in order to apply better. I think it's Did, just making it faster. Okay, so faster is sort of allowing you to do it, but certainly the range, you don't have as much flexibility as the Omen Navy issue.
0: No, not quite as much. I mean, the Omen Navy issue is still going to be strictly better, gotcha. but the, the power gap is, is shrinking quite a bit. Uh, I think they're also giving the Omen a little bit of fitting love on mm-hmm. the call rate. Yes. So that's going to actually help tremendously because the Omen is really cramped. One of the reasons the Go Omen Navy issue is that you can fits your full rack of false you can fit a micro-drive, you can fit a cat booster, you can fit a repper, whereas you can't do all those things with the regular omen. Right,
2: and the vexer is not going to be the go-to for... I mean, you can pretty much do shield drone kite, you can do newts or blasters or rails in the highs, you know, you can do the triple reps, so people are going to have to make some really big decisions on how they want to fit it because they're definitely not going to have that fitting room anymore.
1: I think the standard low sec dual rep newts and the highs fit the newts and the highs will either be downgraded or go away but other than that your dual rep fit is safe your 1600mm plate fit that's probably going to have to downgrade the tank a bit triple rep fit it breaks my heart that's going away as well yeah
0: triple rep will be done plates I think you'll still see some 1600 plate fits but their offensive power will take a big hit because they're not going to be able to do full size newts anymore um which, you yeah.
1: know,
0: you could argue, and I, I guess FCs will argue whether that's, like, the core draw of the Vexer or not. Winner Winter makes a great point that they're actually going to have to decide things now. Do I want to optimize my Vexers for offense or defense? Because you can't do both anymore. Right. Uh, I still think the Caracal will probably need to tune down at some point. Um It just does too much too well at the moment.
1: Did they give any hints on whether they're still interested in implementing the Rapid Light Missile Launcher range They actually discussed this
0: directly. I don't know if it was during the presentation or during the Mm Q&A, but they actually said no. They're not planning on touching Rapid Lights. The reason why is uh, they just had more time with them and decided that the better approach would be to go after certain specific ships that seemed... OP with them, they mentioned the Orthras specifically, but as a weapon system, compared to the other weapon systems available, Rise specifically said it just doesn't feel out of place like they thought it did. Rather, there are specific ships using it, which feel a bit too strong. I would name the Orthrus and the Caracol.
1: How about the heavy missile and rapid heavy missile changes? Were that included in the no? Did they give a reason why they're also not doing them, or did it just not come up? Uh, did not get mentioned. Mm.
2: And again, I think that's a better approach rather than saying, hey, we're just going to nerf this entire weapon class. We're going we're gonna to instead look at each individual ship, judge its strengths and weaknesses, and make our decisions based on their... That way you don't wipe out entire class ships in one yeah. single go.
1: Well, I don't think it... The reason that I like the change to begin with is I don't think it nerfed the entire weapon class. I think it nerfed using the weapon and it, not its intended purpose, right? With the range bonus, you could have rapid light ships such as the Cerberus using a hundred kilometer range with the rapid lights. It wasn't serving the quote-unquote anti-tackle purpose. It was serving as basically just another high damage great application weapon system. But if you remove that range bonus, then suddenly they are strictly dedicated, very good anti-tackle weapon systems. Instead of all around, just great application, great damage. But that's a to me that's that sort of would fall under
0: what Rise was talking about as far as going after ships. So you could make a change to that ships bonus that it no longer applies, rather than tune down the the damage or the flight time or the well, whatever. They, they, the they weren't planning on itself. making
1: damage and flight time changes, were they? Apart from the reload time.
0: Well, I mean, I'm talking about balancing the weapon system in general. Oh, okay, I got right. you. So that's like, that fall, that I think that falls squarely within their approach. Whether or not they'll actually do it, I, I don't know. But he said that they're planning on going after specific ships, which to me says bonuses or perhaps adjusting other elements of the power of those ships. And the Cerberus' case, maybe it's speed or tank or something else, if they still want to have offense. But very realistically, you could just say, well, the range bonus will not apply. It'll still get a damage bonus to it, but maybe not other things.
2: I'm looking forward to the <clears throat> to the decrowning of the Orthrus and Losec. I think that thing <laughs> was a bit of a monster for far too long, and so I, I cheered internally a little bit. Having faced a number of those on some of my fleets that I've been on, it's just like, you yeah. see when and you're just like, oh, we're done.
1: <laughs> All I'm saying is I really hope they still go through with the HML buffs because when alphas get access to drakes and they ask KSC, hey, can I bring my drake, I want to be able to say yes and not feel dead inside when I do so. Yeah, the buffs to the heavy missiles
0: and heavy assaults, I think, still should happen. Um, okay. And I hope they... I have Fozzie listens to the show. I would like to see the heavy missile Drake be more of a thing than it is. Uh, I know it's Alliance Tournament Championship material, but uh, all yeah. well, the, the Navy Drake is a whole other...
1: To whole be other fair, other and the Dami was Alliance Tournament Ship champion potential as well. We see how well that goes on TQ or uh, uh, what, uh, dominant ship in the meta for two years? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, which is basically what the Drake was actually, so I when guess. When was the Dummy the dominant dommie? ship
1: in like Fleet PvP? Was that
0: before my time? It was uh, in the slow, just before the Slowcat era.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: People were doing the Slowcat concept but cool. with Dummies
1: instead. I heard it Especially was like, in high sec I heard the new Dummy was a thing with the Russians for a little bit, but I didn't know it was a widely prol- proliferated thing.
0: Yeah, just super tank Dominixes um, with sentry drones and then do like 60 of them on grid with your POCO if you're RBB uh, or EV-Uni and then no one can move you. Uh, so now they're doing something similar with Rattlesnakes right now. Uh, but same idea. Um, anyway, uh, the big news on the ship balancing front is that the next class of ships I know, ah, its okay, <laughs> finally happening. Hacks and Assault Frigates are getting a balance pass. It is confirmed. It is in stone. <laughs> it's straight from Fozzie and Rise. They agreed that this is happening. So this is definitely going on. Uh, the much-weighted and much-asked-for on this show <laughs> the balance pass The Hacks and Assault Frigates is going on. Uh, it's going to go in a couple different directions. Uh, they said that they're not looking to completely redesign the purpose of the class, What they're looking for is to enhance its existing themes. And they're also going to go through and address specific problems with specific ships. So, for instance, we may finally get some Munin changes, which make it feel more like a Munin should feel. Um, uh, We're probably going to get some vengeance changes to make it not as slow. (laughs) Dog
1: shit. They specifically said assault frigates in general will get some kind of speed buff. Before we go too far into the changes, I think it's important to note the role which CCP identified for these ship classes, which was tanky and fleet PvP-oriented, as well as... Did they mention anything else of note? Um,
0: no, those were were two things. I I think that makes sense. Uh, Salt frigates, and certainly hacks. Hacks really came into their own when, um... (laughs) What you call it? Uh, uh, the zealots came out. The AB zealots, the fist, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was like a, a huge innovation from Pandemic Legion. Changed the face of EPVP forever. Uh, honestly, the impact of them making structure tanking a viable nullsec doctrine cannot be understated. <laughs> the effects of which are still being felt. Uh, so, shout out to the, the PL theory there. Um, but. Yeah, the, the main draw of them was that they had decent projection, not great, but they could tank ridiculously well because they moved really fast with an afterburner and had very low signature radius and had very high resistances. The combination of which meant that in a battleship-dominated nullsec era, nothing could touch them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're flying slow cats, uh, which were like you're not slow cats, uh, you're Old
1: flying. Right? Huh? Ball tech right? Or no, this is pre Ball
0: right? tech. Ooh. This is back when people were doing pulse abatons and artillery maelstroms and artillery abatons for a thing. Uh, yeah, slow cats. Um, and uh, yeah, it just, you would, even if you hit them, you would hit them for a, a 10% of your damage because the city radius was so low. And back then, a lot of people were not doing combined arms plates where they had painters and webbers and all this stuff. They were mostly focusing just on Alpha Strikes, or they were not doing Fleet PvP. So <laughs> uh, these these Zealots were stunting on these battleship fleets, uh, and I think that's the power fantasy for the hack, uh, is to be able to sig tank these larger battleships, but still have decent damage output and projection range. Uh, for assault frigates, it's that, but take away the damage and projection range, just make them even tankier and even faster, such as you can be a Frigate in a gigantic Nelsec fleet fight and not instantly die when someone looks at you.
2: Right. Um, I remember when I was a new player and I was super excited to fly uh, Tech 2 Frigates. My first one was an Ennio, um, and it was like literally two weeks before uh, the T3 uh, Destroyers came out. So as soon as those came out, the entire class of Assault Frigates was pretty much wiped off the face of Losec, so... I am very happy, very happy to see those little ships come back because I had some great memories. And, of course, Noir uh, pretty much patented the Retribution Doctrine. Um, oh, that okay. is always a blast to take out, so <laughs> we are probably going to see a lot more of that.
1: I hope right. so. Hype aside, what are the changes? What's coming? All right, so Assault frigates are going to get a little bit of speed love.
0: It uh, looks like 4K a second was sort of floated as the upper band. That's probably where we'll see the Jaguar top out at. Uh, No lower band, but I think the Vengeance tops out at like 2,200 with tank on it, uh, which is slower than many destroyers. So they clearly need a little bit of love there. It'll probably be some sort of mass reduction, that's my guess. Or maybe they'll they'll keep the mass so they turn slow, but they'll add some kind of base speed thing. Um, Some ships specifically will get tuned so there's more balance within the classes. You may see the Serb get knocked down, for instance. I think you'll see the Moonin bumped up. Uh, for assault, forgets. Hard to say. Um, maybe a little
1: bit of love for the Enyo. Maybe ishkir I mean, come on! You say the buff the Enyo. What about the Ishker? All well, the Ishkur. is <laughs> Like never been flown. What? When's the last time you saw somebody flying an Ishker? I
2: think I've seen two Ishkers in my entire. Stream I was like, alright, maybe I'm, I'm like, Ill They're not form, very popular at all.
0: There's it right now it feels like there's no... ishker, Alec. <laughs> I used to fly the Ishker all the
1: time. Used to being the keynote there. Well, yeah, that's true. I and mean,
0: the, the drone buff on the Tristan kinda of damaged that thing beyond repair, but there right now even as bad as you may think the ishker is, like if you stack it up against the NU, there's really no reason to ever fly it. <laughs> because the ishker does just about as much damage, but doesn't need to spend its tank modules to do it. And it has like forty five to sixty five kilometer projection range with drones. Uh which is the Enyo needs to be like literally less than five hundred meters <laughs> to do anything. So oh and the extra mid slot. now uh, mm-hmm. you, the Ishka's got another mid slot. So You make a good case. The the NU is in a pretty bad spot. I would love to see it lose its its drone bay and just get a little more power elsewhere. Make it faster, make it baseline tankier make it have an even stronger damage bonus something like that um but the Ishker is for the assault frigates I mean I'm almost based on this feedback tempted to just go make an Ishker <laughs> to go show the world how fucking awesome it is because this is a really good frigate
1: hey man next PC, let's make
0: it happen yeah you want to do it <laughs> let's, let's do it take out some Ishkers let's do it um
2: also um one thing that the hacks and the um uh, software sulfur gets are going to get is their own special uh, low slot module. These- so,
0: yeah, this ties into what Winter was hinting at earlier. To frame it, I'll let you. I'll hand it back to you because I think you're really excited to talk about it. But the balance team is actually has engineers now. That's one of the main things. Uh, so they're going to continue doing number passes like they have been before, um, changing slots around, increasing the strength of this person's shield versus sort of removing this ship's armor, but uh, <clears throat> they will also focus a lot on creating new modules. I think they mentioned the micro-jump destroyer thing like a dozen times during right. the course of this presentation. It kept getting brought up. It's like the gold standard of what they're trying to recreate in terms of unique effects that bring a, a well-defined strength to a ship that isn't necessarily directly combat power. Right. and just has all these cool impact on the the meta. So, they're creating a new module. Winner, <laughs> tell yes. us about the module.
2: It will be uh, an assault damage control, and it will be a special damage control that can only be fitted to assault frigates and um, assault cruisers. Um, there will be a tech one and a tech two version. Uh, it will be an active module, so while it is passive, while it is not being in use, uh, you get. I believe the stats are slightly lower than the Tech 2 damage controller. Yeah, but not that much. Not that much, just a few percentage points lower. However, when you turn it on, you get an 80% across-the-board damage resist profile, um, which only lasts 20 seconds, and it has a two-minute cooldown. So this is the perfect for FC on being yellow boxed, what do? and yeah, only these two classes of ships get it. So I am so curious to see how these things are going to be used, especially um, suicide tackle mm-hmm. uh, in a T tournament, um, just suicide tackle in low second, low sec in general. So
1: or even like tanking big things like that. Quick yeah. clarification question. We say 80% resist profile.
0: I was just going to bring this does up. Does that mean
1: the module will give you an 80% bonus to your resist, or does it mean everything that's below 80% is suddenly at 80%? So it's an 80% bonus
0: to resist, just like Ooh. any other resistant
1: module. So Okay, that is like, huge.
0: Passively, I think it'll be like 12-ish. Or I forget the exact I think number. they said
1: it's like what the T1 damage control is right now. Right, like So sure. meta zero is where it's going to be at.
0: So it'll, it'll be low, like... Probably the 10 to 12% range. Right. But when you activate it, it will become an 80% module, as if you had an 80% hardener on. Yes. Uh, for everything. Shield, armor. Uh, not in structure, though. I think it's only a 35% bonus of structure. Perhaps. But that's but still pretty significant, especially in Galenti ships. Um, so.
2: It's way out of the box. It's like yeah. nobody thought about this. Um, and so I'm really i excited to see how people are going to use this because we have this brand new toy, just like uh, Tech 2 Destroyers got their own micro jump unit, and we see every day how different alliances use those. So I'm super
0: stoked. I can't wait to try them out. My favorite part about this, just design wise, is that it factors in so well to the power fantasy of these ships, where the, one of the main drawbacks of having a, a hack versus, say, a Tech 3 is the lower amount of hit points. Hectories have six-figure hit point capabilities, hacks not so much, except for maybe the sack if you super tank it. And even then you're really pushing it, kind of defeating the point. Um, so one problem is if you get webbed and painted, like you've removed the sig tanking capability of it, you just get blown through. But now, uh, because your resists on that are still pretty good, like you can buff it even that much more, take massive reduced damage for the initial couple of volleys get time for your logistics to lock you up. Yeah. And now you, you've caught reps on something that has really high base resists. Uh, your hit max hit points doesn't matter as long as Lodgy is able to lock you and you're not instantly popped the next time in the right. cycle. So you're massively increasing the survivability of these things in fleet combat without creating this oppressive, unkillable monster because it only lasts right. for 20 seconds. Right. Um, and this will have this great use
2: in plexes uh, in low sec. If you have to throw off a tackle to warp out, you have 30 seconds to do it, and you can be free to go. So that will be very interesting to see as well.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I thought you were going somewhere else when you started that statement. We discuss very explicitly that CCP thinks or their design concept for these classes is fleet PvP tanky ships. But we have to remember that these ships are used elsewhere apart from those scenarios. And one place where assault frigates are used is faction warfare in these flexes. Right. And most of your faction warfare frigate fights, even including assault frigates, D three destroyers, one two minutes max. So if you have a ship assault frigate which is going into this flex, presumably it's gonna be like a 1v1, one v2 scenario of Things are going according to plan, and they suddenly have the ability to take 20 seconds, which is a huge portion yeah. of this very small fight window, and be essentially invulnerable. Like, that is huge as far as changing the meta of Faction Warfare Plex fights, at least for the solo PvP.
0: I mean, Assault frigates are going to be really strong rules now. There's no getting around that one. You have to... I presume there will be some sort of visual indicator with this as well when they activate it, because that won't really make sense. You're going to have to identify when that happens and I mean, kite just them out for 20 <laughs> seconds you doing less damage.
1: I, how do you miss that? But
0: Can you
2: imagine fighting a blaster NEO that has you scrammed with an 80% resist
0: profile? You're not going to walk away from that. Especially once
1: it gets a balance tweak to be a little bit more powerful than it already is. Yeah. yeah you're yeah. not going to walk away.
0: But I think that's good. I mean, I don't think a, a Navy frigate should lose or should beat an assault frigate like that. would, Unless there's, like I said, some sort of kiting or... Skill, like straight head-to-head, point-blank range fight, I would expect the Tech 2 Assault Frigate, which is designed to be a brawler, to beat one of these specialty ships. So that, that makes sense to me. I think the real question is how our Destroyer is going to fare, but then again, the bunch of Destroyers just got buffs with the Alpha Pass. So we'll see how that plays out, and even if they are OP, and Destroyers are not countering them very well, it gives an opportunity for the balanced team to the line to figure out uh, I have a module that really buffs tracking and damage against frigates that now get on destroyers, who knows? Um, so, this is uh, very exciting stuff. Uh, also, real quick, we want to mention we don't really have a lot of details on it, so we'll just do it in passing, but uh, they're talking about a turret tier aside, which will, in part, include, at least at this point, adding tech to ammo to faction guns which could have some really interesting fitting implications, considering how much less grid those things take. Uh, So we may see some increased demand, especially from older players, for these guns, which previously people never really touched, because you couldn't get the damage buff from tech 2 weapons. You couldn't get the range buff from the tech 2 ammo. Uh, Let's move on to resource wars. Uh, Did either of you two make it to that panel? I did not. I was asleep. I did not either. I <laughs> had a feeling not many people would, so <laughs> I made sure that I went. Uh, I was actually really surprised at how impressed I was. Mm. Um, okay. The amount of thought that went into Resource Wars, I, maybe I just really did not give CCP enough credit. When they first put it out, I was like, this is so dumb. It's another, <laughs> I thought it was like another agency thing yeah. where
2: it's going to pop up and you're going to... X out of it and then
0: go on your day. Like, why would you do this? Why would you do this thing? It's like just kind of replacing mining missions. It seems pointless. Uh, actually, no. Um, it's going to be a direct continuation of the tutorial, basically, the new player experience. So you will go from completing these new player agent missions to getting fed into resource wars, which will pair you up with other players to do them. So it's It's meant to be the bridge between the player interacting with a computer all the time in the tutorial to getting their first taste of interacting with other players, which is actually really great. Yeah. Uh, And they're not going to force it, force it, but by design it will be pretty obvious that you should be talking to each other, and there will be a chat channel for people that are participating. So you could easily imagine people starting getting into voice comms with each other, potentially trying to form fleets, finding out that fleets exist. Uh, which is not something that's in the tutorial at all. Um, as a new player thing, uh, I am very excited for the recruitment implications of this. I've already talked to my recruitment guys. who are like, "Yo, patch Day! We need to be up in here talking to these <coughs> new players, walking them through how to, you know, how to mine, how to fly these combat ships." You uh, know, this is going to be a great opportunity because our recruitment process is fleet up with us, fly with us for a while. And if we spend 30 to 60 minutes with you and you know, we're not tearing our hair out <laughs> trying to deal with you, we're not ashamed of being in fleet with you, <laughs> we're probably going to get a recruitment invite. So this is basically like we're interviewing players as as we're flying through these missions, which is really exciting. And, and I, I hopefully a lot of other uh, new player groups take the same
1: route. It's super clever to me now that they're requiring both mining aspect and the combat aspect. Mm-hmm. So now not only are you coming out of these missions where previously you could go into mission running and there would be not much an introduction to any sort of PvP whatsoever. Missioning is completely different from that. Or you could go into mining. Now they're merged together and it's getting you into the social aspect. This is incredibly clever. Like wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh
0: Remar- like I said, remarkably well thought out. I, I was surprised. So I could actually see myself now doing this, not for any monetary gain, but just simply to meet other new players and potentially get some recruits.
1: So the details on how it works. They're going to be What's all up? over the fucking place, apparently. Like <laughs> okay. In almost every system, apparently, in high sec, Or at least a good chunk of them. Mechanics of accessing these sites? Like as a, a recruiter such as yourself, can you get into them freely? How's yeah. That sort of um,
0: it'll be levels one through five. Okay. And you access the higher levels through grinding standing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, unclear if you're interested in recruitment of like whether the higher levels will be valuable, because presumably those players have, have been around for a little bit. We'll um, have to see how that plays out. Um, but it may also be the case where people didn't want to join other corps, and they just continued on with this feature. And you catch them at the right time. So
1: Now, higher levels mean more difficult rat spawning and more valuable ore,
0: or more ore, or what's the deal there? So the ore will never leave the site. That was an important
1: thing. Oh, that's right. You turn it in.
0: You turn it in in the thing. Mm. So it's not going to touch the mineral market at all. They're planning on doing a whole bunch of experimentation with mining and values and rates, potentially stuff like... Uh, Area of effect thing that massively increases your cycle time. Like they don't have to worry about balancing it to the Eve economy or the wider minded mechanic, so they're free to do a whole bunch of crazy shit. Um, so you, the main like, value of it is you get some LP and I think maybe some disk, but not a lot. Um, I, I basically straight up asked them, "Do you see this becoming a long-term profession for players?" And they said, "Probably not." Even once you get up to the 5th level, the highest tier, it's still not going to be as much income as regular mining or um, uh, well, it may be regular mining, and high sec, depending. Uh, but it's definitely not going to be as much as like a level 4 mission, definitely not as much as null sec. So there's going to be pretty strong incentives, especially when you consider these players are going to be interacting with each other. You're like, hey, did you hear about this, this null sec thing? Probably you going to make a lot of money out there. You might want to think yeah. about it. Uh, so uh, it doesn't seem like players are going to be hanging around there for very long, but it will be an important social bridge.
2: Yeah, I think that's something they really struggled with. New players coming in, uh, they finished their agent, ma- you know, the career missions, and then they were just done. and They were just like, where do I go from here? You know, which corp do I choose? You know, waiting to get into that corp, they're like, what am I supposed to do? Um, so this will give them uh, a couple of weeks to try out the game, to talk to people, you know, get this, all this information in these like little bite-sized packages for them to digest and be like, okay, once I get done, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is where I want to focus on. And hopefully, um, kind of cut down those months when you start and when you actually get into a corporation and get into the grind of beef. Uh, just feeling lost and just kind of wandering all over the place without anything to do.
1: Yeah, quick mechanics question. <laughs> I think probably going to be the last one. I know, at least with the starter missions, it's been a huge complaint by the player base for a while now that you could new players not understanding what the ramifications are would be shooting empire faction NPCs, which spawn, therefore limiting their ability to access parts of space without even knowing what's going on. Did CCP mention, like, the rats that spawn in these sites not being Empire factions such that there is this problem? Or did it not come up? Or
0: When I heard them talk about FPC, they usually talk about them in terms of pirates. Okay. So I don't think they'll be shooting other
1: Empires. It makes sense that they wouldn't include the Empires just because this is a problem, but I didn't know if it had been thought about. I, I yeah, I... I... It wasn't directly asked, so I don't want to
0: say for sure, but it seems like these are not Empire Rats.
1: Okay.
0: Um, also,
2: um, one thing they did mention, and I'm not sure if this is part of the Resource of Wars or a part of the faction outpost, but there will be pirate outposts in Hisek,
0: um, as, as part of, I believe it, I believe it is, the Resource Wars. That's It's tying into it. I don't think there are actually going to be Resource Wars sites, but... At least lore-wise, these are connected. It wasn't clear to me how you will interact with right. these forward operating bases. It could be just ratting. But. Right. So we would see like these Gristas outposts
2: in whatever uh, the appropriate Gristas region of Hysec. So that's something uh, they will be introduced to as well.
1: Yeah, Those so they and the rusty. blood raiders, raiders are yes. expanding. The Void are expanding their borders. Um, And the high-sec with the forward operating base, the Gristas are getting them as well. Mm -hmm. The Greases are also getting the Sotios in Nullsec now, which will include the new fancy Grista super capitals. Hooray!
0: Yeah, which uh, we already knew about, but now we got to see their bonuses. Uh, Not actually that impressed by them. I think they're a little underwhelming at launch. Uh, Basically, they're going to have if you're familiar with the to subcaps, the idea is they get a smaller number of really higher-powered drones. Right. Same idea here, but for fighters. So the Dreadnought will have fighters. Uh, the carrier, or the, what you call it, the, the Titan fighters? Uh, everything has a fighter now. Uh, and the idea is these are much smaller numbers of fighters that are way stronger. But I think the number of fighters is too
1: small. Like, the Dread only gets one. <laughs> That's double strength. That seems weak to me. I mean, the way I think about it is this. Every alliance has got that special snowflake who wants (laughs) to have their shield super. And now that special snowflake will not be able to resist the novelty of a titan with fighters. So... No matter how actually useful <laughs> or beneficial these things are, the demand will be there because these special snowflakes exist. If there are shield capital alliances, I highly doubt that they will be utilizing these in any great degree, but special snowflakes will love the novelty of them.
2: I tried with fighters, man. That's, you can do some wicked stuff with that.
1: I would love to see the Neganhoiser or what's the other Russian from Liger who posts videos all the time. Uh, I Big Oh, Big Micer as well. He used to do some hot red stuff, but somebody going out in a rapid torpedo launcher faction thing with fighters that can help them deal with frigates or something. That's going to be an amazing video.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's there. I would just like to see more. Like, the Rattlesnake gets two drones, the Gila gets two drones, the Worm gets
1: two drones. Yeah, but, like, carriers get three so if you go with two, that's two-thirds of a carry. You're not really cutting it down that much. I guess that's fair. Um,
0: they will have all the normal grid weapon bonuses, so this is on top. You can get some insane damage there if you go all out, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, real quick, some of the last items on this front, and then we'll get to more of the outside the panel <laughs> content. Um, <laughs> this year was quite quite a lot. Uh, this is mostly for Artemis to talk about. Winter, I don't know if you've touched it, but they're coming out with a new EVE mobile game, and everyone that came to Vegas got a pre-alpha build of it we got to play. It's called Aurora, and uh, it's was rolled out in the line of like Valkyrie Warzone. They talked about Nova in that they couldn't talk about it, but they would, <laughs> but they would be able to within the next six months. They acknowledged, they acknowledged its continued existence. Yeah. Uh, not not dead.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, Razer has been found. Um, and also Spark, their latest VR offering, which did you get a chance to try? I did not. I did not either, sure. I really wanted to. but uh, It uh, reminds me of the sort of thing you'd see in Tron with like the Frisbees, where you're throwing a ball back and forth and blocking it. Uh, apparently very good, but did not have a chance to try it. Uh, this is in the same vein, a, a EVE universe, but not directly tied to EVE thing. Apparently that's going to be their development mode going forward. They're going to create stuff with EVE IP, but not tie it into the game, unless it's actually successful, at which point they may consider it. it seems mean, like they got burned with dust. And
1: no, I played the game better. quite heavily. Uh, yes, I'd you like did. to think I was actually in the running for winning one of the two prizes that you got, uh, for playing the game and being the highest station level. Exact numbers I'm not sure on, but before I go into my thoughts, I would love to know, did either of you two install the app, open it, even touch it? I tried to, but okay. the link would not work for
2: me. So. I think my only experience was listening to you tell me about it. <laughs> okay,
1: so I was hoping to get some initial feedback from like the casual user and what they thought, because I think that's going to be the majority of our listeners, but from a quote unquote power player for two days. <laughs> um, the smug
0: guy the smugness. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean that's a so brag name, I <laughs> almost <laughs> won. Uh, um, it's I enjoyed it. I'm not sure if it's because I had this thought in the back of my mind of, hey, I could win a fancy new phone or get my name up on the screen of e Vegas in front of a thousand hot and sweaty nerds <laughs> or what, but I enjoyed it, the gameplay was nice, it had the feel of uh, PvP matters, and you're working towards building yourself up, and that losses matter, and um, it had the importance of interaction, of communicating with your corporation, even communicating with the galaxy at large, and all of the stuff that is useful in bringing people in on a high level to you online those aspects were there in Aurora. There were a lot of bugs, a lot of balance things that will obviously be tweaked based on player experience here, but those core things of death matters, or in this case, getting raided of PvP is important, and of communication and coordination with other players, I think were there and were useful. Okay. Um, I was...
0: Yeah, when they were talked about it, on the stage, I think I was less impressed with the game than after Artemis talked to me about it. (laughs) In that, uh, the, uh, the concept seemed like Eve Light almost read like a Chinese mobile game knockoff that CCP decided to actually license. Uh, because it had, like, sort of Eve ships, but not really. It had sort of Eve conquest, but not really. You know, that kind of was my thought, too. I was
2: like, um... We have all of these problems, in or not problems, we have all of these things to do in the EVE universe, and the last thing we want to see is a mobile phone that they're going to dump all of their time and energy to, <laughs> so um, if they think it's going to draw people in, then good on them. I'm, I'm still on the fence. I would like to see more, uh, continue more development into EVE online, just polishing up some much-needed
0: areas. Or well, hell, having better mobile integration with the actual Oh Eve, my gosh, like, an
2: actual Eve app would be amazing.
0: So they technically have it, and they claim that they've fixed everything, and they. you are now able to successfully send Eve mails. Which is, I, haven't, <laughs> I
1: haven't been able to access my mail in months. Like, does the receiving mail actually work now that thing's been broken Apparently, forever? But okay. I haven't had that much opportunity
0: to test it since I redownloaded it. Um, I just haven't. I've gotten some mails but not enough to say if it's coming in consistently. It feels like it is. I haven't really tested it, tested it, but um. You know what I would love? Like an Eve light
2: mobile app where you could it's set to whatever station that you are your capsule is docked in and you could accept contracts, you can make contracts, you could have perhaps do market all from like your tablet, like you're on a train. People who yeah. have to travel a lot. So in other words, nerds understand. are never
1: productive right. at work. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. That that is my goal. basically everything shy of undocking. Yeah. Pretty much. I would, yeah. I think that would be amazing.
1: So getting back a little bit to comments about Project Aurora, your comment on you don't want CCP wasting resources is interesting. Uh, In playing the app, obviously the developers were very interested in answering questions, getting feedback and things. And one thing I noticed is this project is a collaboration with a non-CCP game developer, which is the first time ever, Play Raven. And Play Raven, they stated their goals in CCP Presents, and so you can go watch that if you're interested in them. But one thing which was very distinct when playing is there were very few CCP devs playing answering questions and getting feedback it was almost exclusively play raven folks so if i had the guess the majority of ccp's involvement will be managing the uh, ip because and obviously this is Eli yeah, yeah. And ip and yeah. brand and then sort of the core things which make eve great like i said the community management things like that mm-hmm. i think ccp will have some input but as far as developing the game itself i think the majority of that will be handled by play raven from what I could tell. So I think a that lot of sense. players' concerns about development time being pushed to other things, it won't be an issue, at least from what i gathered.
0: But it's still a problem that at least maybe, maybe the, the CSM can correct me on this when we talk to Yen on the next episode, but uh, I think conspicuous by their absences. I don't think
1: CCP actually
0: has a proper mobile team. Mm. Um,
1: well, given you say their that... Mobile app, I spoke with a gentleman, or rather, I overheard a conversation with a gentleman who was looking to work for CCP on their mobile team as to whether or not he was completely full of crap. I don't know, but hearsay is CCP has a mobile team, which they were hiring very recently.
0: Or if they do, well, me put it like this. If they have a mobile team, they don't have a proper Android and iOS Mm -hmm. division, it seems like. Uh, It could be maybe they just had one person for each. I don't know, but the NeoCom apparently its last thing was just like bug fixes to get the email to fucking work. For a change, <laughs> um, it would be it would be great if we were moving toward like an everything but on docking experience. Everything that doesn't require massive graphics power right. processing. Um, let me sell items. Let me talk to my court. Let me do this stuff with a mobile UI. I don't see why not. If I'm being quite uh, frank. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. Like, giving the opportunity to buy Plex on my mobile phone, to buy ship skins on my mobile phone, to buy all the stuff. Like, the microtransactions on mobile are a big deal. So why not tap that market, especially when you're talking about when you have these mini Plexes now. Like, it feels like all the elements are in place. Why are we not hearing anything about going toward this through an infrastructure point of view?
2: EVE is really a game that's played 24 hours. You know, people who are not in-game, they're always on Discord, they're always on Slack, they're always checking on these things. It makes perfect sense to be connected to your in-game pilot in some way. Um, I mean, smartphones, having a smartphone with EVE on it, being able to stay plugged in all the time is amazing. Considering how much people have had to be there um, in the old days, you know, you had to alarm clock for stuff, you had to be around, so it makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I don't think the level will get to like feature parity with Slack, but the ability to see like who else is logged in right now would be kind of cool. Or um, I maybe mean, if they want to give you that much power, just like a raw feed of what's being said. I don't know. Another development team. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get some feedback from Yin on, on maybe this has come up before. If it hasn't, you know, maybe the CSM would consider bringing it up. Uh, not to say that Aurora is a, a bad idea. I mean, it sounds a lot like are talking over with Artemis, a browser game that I used to play. Uh, it's actually pretty quite, a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, you know, if that's the mobile direction, I would be disappointed. If it's in parallel to a more robust Neocon app type thing, mm-hmm. I would be a little more a little more on board with the whole thing. But anyway, um, the last bit is about uh, EVE Vegas itself. They are taking FanFest on the road. We didn't really get much information about what this was going to mean uh, other than CCP adding some funding and some branding to various EVE events all over the place. Vegas, EVE London... Uh, EVE and T, I think, was mentioned. EVE Down Under is getting this. There's possibly going to be an East Coast U.S. Oh, there's something. certainly.
1: So the key is they've determined the locations for all of the regional fan fests, as they refer to them, except for East Coast U.S. And they're still looking for feedback on where players would like, on the East Coast, the 2019 regional fan fest to be. That'll so, be a devlog of some kind. Of indeed.
0: Uh, and then no that's for twenty eighteen. For twenty nineteen. I mean, yes. For twenty nineteen,
1: it's going to be back in Reykjavik. They're gonna do a big bash for Eve's twentieth. And an Eve parade in Reykjavik. Yeah. It's gonna be awesome. First ever lose. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we may see a middle management dino float.
1: <laughs> we may see. Awesome. If we don't see, it's gonna be a massive disappointment.
0: <laughs> I think our test pros will not let us down. I, I have confidence. I have confidence. I would like to see a, a, a propaganda artist on Reddit. Cymac. CyMek, yeah. Cymac, Cymac.
1: Just like a parade of all <laughs> his little
0: characters for the various alliances. That I so got great. a
1: pin of the little CO2 dude. I got so sad when I realized, oh, this pin means nothing now.
0: <laughs> as
1: as it <laughs> a little
0: funeral pyre for you. Yeah. Uh, but that's the last of the presentation stuff all right so let's move on to some of the non-presentation content this is the party around the party <laughs> so to speak uh if you've ever gone to uh, a vegas or a fan fest you'll know that what happens in the presentations <laughs> and round tables is only half the story uh, if you haven't been to one of these yet strongly encourage you to go but we'll give you a little taste of what it was like to be there um, things opened up with the Tournament of Kings. This is the, uh, pretty much the first event. This is, we have it on Thursday. Normally
1: we do it much later in the weekend. Well, it's important to note before we go too far. Oh. This isn't a general event. Yes, it's true. This is an
0: MC-specific tradition. Yes. Uh, started a couple of years back. Uh, I don't think anybody was really doing much that Thursday, aside from mm-hmm. generally meeting at the bar, which we'll talk about in a sec. But MC's Tournament of Kings visit, it was the noir thing before, and then it became the MC thing last year, and now it's an MC thing again, and holy hell. (laughs) Uh,
1: Hungary. Hungary.
0: (laughs) Hungary. So if you've never been to a Tournament of Kings, it's exactly like the Medieval Times, which if you've never been to a Medieval Times, you might remember from the movie Cable Guy. Pretty much the same, (laughs) Uh, except it's a little less fun. But, it, uh, you know, you've got your knights, you've got your ladies, it's a scripted show. They seat you around it like a medieval arena with stands and stuff. You eat a chicken.
1: With <laughs> no utensils, mind you. No utensils. because with your hands.
0: We did not have forks and spoons in medieval times, therefore there are no forks <laughs> at still medieval say times. They
1: should at least give me like a freaking knife or something. <laughs> Come on, guys.
0: Oh, did they have Pepsi in medieval times? <laughs> <laughs> like I just
1: work here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so yeah, it's it's a good time. Um, the MC guys buy these uh, red and blue blinking Viking helmets.
1: <laughs> looks fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, and last year we got seated in the Hungary section, the <laughs> King of Hungary, and of course that led to a chant Hungary. Hungary, which only got more fiercer as the competition went on and people got drunker. Uh, And so that chant was back in full for us. This time we had
1: even more guys. I think we had 29 in total this time. It was incredible. And last year, as you might guess, these people have seen
0: nothing like this. (laughs) So the guy that plays the king of Hungary was—I had no idea how to take what was <laughs> happening here. He's probably never been chanted at generally, let alone by people in uniform, black shirts and <laughs> breasts on them.
1: Uh, and we all
0: went up afterward to like hang out with him and take a group photo. This time around, sure enough, it's the same dude. The first time he made a pass around, he didn't really notice us. The second time around, he was like. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> he kind of like his eyes bugged a little bit. And then the third pass around, he winked at us. He was pointing. Um, and then afterward, he, he came up and said, oh, man, I, if I knew you guys were going to be here, I'd have like, done something. I could never beat that Russian guy. Like, every year he loses to the, the Empire Spoilers, Spoilers, Spoilers. <laughs> um, but he's this, he's this awesome Like long-haired blonde dude. He's awesome. Uh, very friendly guy. Artemis, this was your first time at anything resembling
1: a medieval times. Well, my first time at anything resembling <laughs> medieval times. My first time at anything Eve meetup related. Like, this was overall a new experience for me. And if the <laughs> listeners are wondering why my voice sounds so weird or you cannot hear my voice. Yeah! <laughs> Rest in peace Headphone user My apologies For my lack of voice Because I was Apparently quite Enthused At the um, the Tournament of Kings Uh, I was sitting Next to Greb Who is An enormous Viking
0: himself He is so Fucking tall And so big Uh, And then there's me Who's one of the Shortest people In the whole group And then there's Artemis Who is perhaps The thinnest person In the whole group And the three of us Are in a row and Artemis, to that point, had been, like, super shy and reserved and didn't even really look like he wanted to be there
2: because
0: <laughs> he was very uncomfortable. And Greb is, like, taking it. He's Swedish. This is his first time in the States since he was a little kid. So he's taking this all in, like, in a very a detached, amused kind of way. Like, oh, this is ridiculous. And I've been there a couple times. so I was like, yeah, this is normal. Par for the course. They're so all sitting down. <laughs> And as things get going, you know, they try to get the crowd hyped up. Come on and cheer for your kings. And they're like, oh, we can't hear you. (laughs) All of a sudden, Artemis shouts out, like, way beyond what is called for in this situation. And Graham and I are both like, (laughs) and we turn to each other and just we're trying to like not laugh and make Artemis feel bad because we don't really want him to stop, <laughs> but we both can't hold it in.
2: <laughs> he kept doing it.
0: <laughs> now, any time that Artemis wanted to cheer, it was one of these massive guttural howls.
1: I mean, you know, when you're in Vegas, you gotta you gotta let it all out, man. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs>
0: We were laughing about it <laughs> It never got old. <laughs> um, and, then, and sure enough, Ardo's voice paid the price. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, that was fun. Um, we also went to Choyos, which is a Mexican restaurant here at the bar. Uh, notable for a mechanical bull that never seemed to fucking work. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. We wanted to do this thing, or like we'd have. First it was all the noir guys, and then it would be the best PvPer in the court, whoever lasted on the bull the longest, and then it got kind of expanded, okay, that didn't work that night, because they had turned the bowl off. Well, let's do the whole alliance, let's do it, oh, the bull broke, oh, fuck, okay, we'll try it again, this time, oh, now we're missing like half the group, because it's too much later, and mm-hmm. the next night, alright, let's do it, oh, the bull broke again, they kept turning the goddamn thing off! For once, I think they shut it down for a private party. The second time it was because of some maintenance issue, and so we never got to ride the goddamn bull. Uh, we'll never know who, who the best <laughs> is.
2: We'll
1: have to go to our graves with that mystery burning in our minds. I mean, well, the one thing I did like about the restaurant was sitting there and playing board games in the Mexican restaurant, which is it's my first time going to an Eve meetup, and so coming here, I was expecting a lot of sitting in a room with a bunch of sweaty, not-particularly-good-smelling Eve nerds, and listening to people nerd out about this game. We all love called Eve all It was a whole lot less of that, and a whole lot more of hanging out with dudes you've hanged out with on Mumble, on TeamSpeak, on Discord, whatever, for years and never met them, and now you're doing it in real life. You're playing board games, you're laughing, you're trying to write a mechanical bull, but never actually quite doing it. (laughs) I mean, there's a metaphor in there somewhere. <laughs>
2: With all the alcohol you can drink?
1: Yes. Uh, well, we all
2: know yeah. that makes everything better.
1: It's interesting. I don't know. I know I will go ahead and say I don't drink, and there are a number of individuals. That
0: I don't drink either, and I, I swear to God, this is not like a noir recruitment requirement, <laughs> but it seems like now about half the corp doesn't drink either. Yep. Um, to the point where, like, everyone else is partying at the bar, and we're like, what do we want to do? And I just had thrown out there that I brought some board games because so usually it's like a noir tradition. At least one night we'll try to play a board game uh, just to take a break from all the partying. So usually it's pandemic. This year I thought I'd uh, you know, spice it up a little bit, and I brought Elder Sign, which is a Cthulhu-based dice rolling game. Uh, tons of fun. We needed someplace a little more quiet than the three-five-three-five bar, <laughs> which is fucking loud as hell. Although it's good good music usually. <laughs> so we're like, okay, well, let's walk around and see if we can find a quiet place in Vegas. And we're like, oh, yeah, whatever. But sure enough, like, a couple steps away, there's this Mexican restaurant, and they had music, too, but it really wasn't that bad. So we talked to the hostess, and we're like, yo, if, if we got some drinks and maybe an appetizer, could we, like, hang for a while? She said, sure. I said, can we string two or three of these tables together? She said, sure. There was hardly anybody in the bar. Well, there were people in the bar. They weren't in this Mexican restaurant. There were, like, a couple of people in the front room, but nobody back by the bar where we were at. So they didn't give a fuck. <laughs> like, they were practically empty. So we had full run of the place. So we strung three tables together, and I, like, got out all these board game pieces and converted the Mexican bar into a board game place. So we played a board game and had some of the, i got to say, probably the best cheese quesadilla I've ever had it in a restaurant. Very good. Very good the point i got it for lunch the next day was disappointed because uh i didn't know that Dell's wife had ordered it like with a lot of extra stuff taken out so i just assumed how we got it was how it came all the time but it actually had like jalapenos in it and pica something or other like you know, all this extra stuff i was like oh this is the same taste that i had last night but it still cooked really really well like crispy skin oh man it's terrific so we were just hanging out as. was um uh, Mostly the NAR guys. Uh, the board game was pretty fun. We won. It nice, although it turns out we were playing it wrong for the first half of it. Um still so good. Um, but yeah, that damn, that damn bowl is going to haunt me now. <laughs> I've never wanted to ride a mechanical bowl so much in my life. Um, Saturday morning, I got to be on the EVE livestream. I got interviewed by... Uh, Mimic and Nikolai and Dunk Dinkle, who I got to meet for the first time.
1: He's <laughs> quite the character. I yeah. met him at the Talking and Stations breakfast, which I regretted instantly waking up for. So he, he woke up at like was it 6, six in the morning? 6.30, something like that the day after I flew in, and man, did I regret it. Bro. But That's bro. I sat right next to Dunk Dinkle, who had just woken up as well, and that guy. When he's, apparently he never has a filter, but he is the <laughs> life of any party, even if it's very, like, too early in the freaking
0: morning. Yeah, so I actually sat next to him at the resource forest thing, and like, you know, we were sitting chilling, and he takes out his thing, and he, like, points to his thing, an interview with a card, and I was like, yeah, I have one, and he's like, I'm doing it. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, By the way, Doug, character you. like, I realized his name tag and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gave me a Brave coin, which is cool. Very nice. Um, Very nice. So I got to meet him and I got to meet Dirk McGurk. Those are
1: the two double D oh, names. That, I'm an idiot. That I, I met Dirk McGurk. I didn't meet Dunk Dinkle. I'm oh, so, sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah. so bad. Oh, man. So, yeah, uh, Dinkle
0: seems not the life of every party, although he's not boring by any means. so mm-hmm. He's just like a nice, polite guy. Um, we had a, actually had, we were able to have a really nice conversation uh, uh, beforehand, yes, because. Uh, he was not on the stream. He was, like, getting rotated in with my segment. Mm. So we were able to talk a little bit before him. Uh, the actual interview went really well. I encourage you guys, if you're fans of the show, to go check it out. Um, it was me, Nikolai, Doug, Mimic, and we were just kind of hanging out, talking Stream Fleet, talking Declarations of War, talking the Great Wildlands Project that we're part of, um, Talking about the moon mining changes and what that might do for mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a really great ten minute or ten fifteen minute segment. Uh, what well, made it all the more fun because Mimic had her earpiece fell out, so she couldn't get any direction for a good part of it. So it's a little awkward at, Toward the end. We're like, how long is this segment supposed to go? And she was just kind of like trying to keep the conversation <laughs> going. But I'm like in my head, like, man, their producer must be having a fit right now. <laughs> this is getting weird. But no, it was awesome. Uh, go check it out. It's on the, the VOD of Saturday. It uh, happens maybe two-ish hours in, and it was about noontime or just before noon. A lot of fun. Uh, definitely check it out. Um, this news had broke on Twitter, and I, I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast yet, but my girlfriend is having a baby happening any minute now
1: <laughs> quite literally yeah. any minute now alec has been checking his phone and everybody's has been asking hey man are you a father yet <laughs> yeah so um
0: yeah we she's been gone for a bit she's living in ohio at the moment but that's what's going on um that was like brought up on the stream because dirk was like hey is it cool if i ask about that and mimics like you know we live right I'm like, oh, well i guess we're talking about it <laughs> So that got broken to a lot of people that haven't followed me on Twitter. By the way, you should definitely be following me on Twitter. Um, What's your Twitter handle, Alec? Slash G-R-R-U-S-S-O. Oh, I shilled so hard during that segment. I was like, declarationsoford.com, twitch.tv, slash Alec, follow, subscribe.
1: Did you have the Declarations of Word? T- I shirt, did. Which is available right now on <laughs> The The shirt was live. I, I was shilling just
0: about everything I had. The only thing I didn't shill was the Twitter. But mm-hmm. I should have. Um, speaking of t-shirts, uh, there was quite a bit of swag on display, but from MC and from CCP, Artemis, I know this was a big deal for you. Yeah,
1: so you may have heard MC had an historic incident occur very recently, like five days before eBay has occurred. A certain structure underwent a certain process, process <laughs> which was, had some unfortunate implications, and we wished to commemorate this historic event by making a t-shirt. <laughs> and uh, I had this idea on comms with Delator and Ed Silver, and we're like, hey, let's make a t-shirt for this and have it at E Vegas. And so that's what we did. Uh, you've probably seen it on Twitter. I'm not sure if it ever made it to Reddit or not, but essentially it's got a, the profile of our Keepstar, FDTAC, Caracorum, on anchoring, and then on the back it says, Have you seen my Keepstar? And it was very well received, which I was very happy about. I can tell a million stories about the trials and tribulations of trying to get a t shirt made in less than five days. <laughs> but in the end it happened and it worked out great. Uh, It's a miraculous turnaround time. Yeah, Yeah, an amazing turnaround time. In fact, I'm just going to shout them out. Uh, C&A Embroidery, which is a local joint in Vegas, is where I was able to get it manufactured. Great customer service the entire way through. Extremely reasonable pricing. I went through more than a dozen t-shirt manufacturers, screen printing, direct-to-garment printing, all that. And these guys seem to be the best. They had fantastic customer service, great prices, great everything. Could not recommend them more. But enough feeling about that. Uh, T-shirt wise, CCP's selection was fantastic. They had some great designs. The winner for the T-shirt contest, the player run, Mm -hmm. collecting designs from players, was announced. It was Evolution or something like that. Had like the whole monkey into Neanderthal into man sort of evolution diagram you often see, and then right after it, a pod. Yeah. So, monkey I mean, me all the spot. way up to Capsuleer. <laughs> well, to scale, you know, you gotta yeah, put a human Yeah, scale, scale, it's pretty good. And they had Blood Raider t-shirts, they had new and improved uh, Op Success shirts with little new rec icons, but the one thing I gotta say is, CCP please, you gotta, you gotta bring more of that, because they ran out instantly of all of the useful sizes of those shirts, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> As soon as as soon as I could get there, they were already immediately out of everything that was not three XL or four XL of all the good shirts, and it was incredibly disappointing. But CCB, please, I just want to give you my money. Why do you not allow me to give you my money?
0: Well, they had a really great free shirt this year. Oh, the, indeed. Uh, to the to throw. refineries on it. Uh, unlike the previous Citadel-based shirt, this one had a less. Strictly realistic design yeah uh yeah. so the the first one was like i think it was an astro house and it was like a a solid outline of it in red or something to the point where like you could barely tell what it was actually supposed to be mm. this time around they did an outline with a white wireframe and mm-hmm. took a more abstract look at it you could still see some detail but it wasn't filled in at all um and it just contrasted very nicely you could tell what was happening what it was supposed to be and it looked pretty cool and they had it in red and blue and you could take your pick of which color it which was a nice touch indeed
1: getting About back it. to player run merchandise there was uh, mc had other shirts we of course have our dev shirts which pl also has theirs but ours are cooler um, <laughs> winter sporting it right now looking indeed. awesome absolutely we had absolutely baller AF. <laughs> a second t-shirt which uh, has a QR code on the back which you should totally scan if you have the opportunity. Um, Definitely other... will not put a keylogger on your phone. <laughs> you can access your Neocom <laughs> app. Yeah, uh, we're not oh, good. Shout Don't out to Kaput
2: who put all of that together. Yeah. And Wokin organized all of that. And they were great.
1: And Shanna, I think Zeebo, had the original design from last year which we were able to get yes. him and grab that. There is Apart from t-shirts, I think a bunch of other people did it. We had buttons galore. Stickers were even distributed in the bags, which mm-hmm. individual attendees got. Were... I have a
0: picture of Rain on my... Uh, oh, Rain, who yeah. was supposed to join us for this recording. We'll have to get her on another episode. I think she cashed out tonight. <laughs> um, but she had, like, a sticker of her face with all of her Twitch info, so I put that up her face, like, on my badge. thing, it was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, we had uh, poker lanyards, chips. poker chips. Um, we're sitting right next to boss uh, cup. Coasters. Coasters, thank yeah. you. Yes, cup thing. <laughs> well, they did have a, a beer tea cozy. Indeed. Kind of yeah. Oh, we have an MC one, in fact. There right. was an EVE Online one, which came with everybody's bag. And, and there
0: flags! Were... This was the year of flags. <laughs> there are like, ten different people with flags. MC, PL, NC Dot, uh, some wormhole alliance I'd never heard of had a dude wearing his flag around. The like a William cake had <laughs> I uh,
2: noticed that real, uh, MC really set the bar last oh, year yeah. uh, none of the other Alliance had anything um, and we just came in with a swag bomb we had cards and lanyards and pins and everyone was wearing our stuff mm-hmm. and this year everyone just like said okay we're gonna we're gonna do this and we still outswagged everyone
1: well as far as like to stay ahead of the curve we took it to a certain extent as far as quality I think MCE is the best bar none undisputed but your your dev shirts are these are probably the best
0: shirts like even
1: CCP devs are asking for our dev shirts yeah so
0: if you haven't actually seen one or or don't get to see a picture of it they've got their names embroidered on Mm -hmm. one side there's the logo on the other side and both sleeves and the back has stuff on it and all of it's embroidered not screen printed so this is like two last Mm -hmm. Uh, and they got the nice uh, tight collar yep um, which is on all of you guys remarkably well, well held up. Uh, that's <laughs> not like crumpled and uh, winging up a little no, bit. These
1: are incredibly yeah. quality fabric. Like these things yeah. will last you. Uh, but creativity, I forgot to mention stress balls in the form of capsules which is <laughs> yes, that, that I have been nice fiddling with this entire recording. <laughs> um, then Test Alliance 3D-printed middle-management dinos, which have been going everywhere. Oh, I And uh, the Nasty Boys made freaking fidget spinners. I um, couldn't... <sighs> fidget spinners. The autism is real. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, props for you guys for creativity. Good on you, if that's what you want for your alliance. Yeah. Go for it, guys. All right, so let's get into the good stuff with the bar. The
0: highlight of this year is the three five three five bar. We uh, so if you haven't realized, E Vegas is a new location, which I guess we should have mentioned prior. Mm-hmm. We didn't. Uh, it used to be at the uh, Planet Hollywood, which had sort of a I don't know what the theme would be of it, but it's kind of like a rock starish yeah. type thing but not really <coughs> uh, and the party was at the you know what it's called it's like an eiffel tower
2: oh the paris
0: yeah the paris rooftop of paris it's, yeah it's got some name to it mm. um not the biggest fan of it of its layout and stuff this time around we were at the link which is an older smaller hotel or at least feels smaller mm. uh, although it may not actually be um Small it may be, but the bar is not small at
2: all. Bar is not small. We were able to pack um, pretty much anyone who wanted to be down there with space to move. We had five booths on the side that were com- uh, quickly uh, drops alliances drop sovereign. Uh, it was very clear who was sitting where. Um, with flags. With flags. Yes, of course. Um, CCs. <laughs> as usual, if you one thing I noticed at the heart bar last year is the alliances would take their appropriate places. Uh, that would represent themselves on the map, so obviously Pandemic Legion, and Gunswarm would be in opposite positions. <laughs> with the Smaller Alliances filling in bases mm-hmm. on blue or not blue, uh, and that was no different at the hard bar The Gunswarm would take the long booths uh, towards mm-hmm. the back. Yeah. The Panfam would quickly claim the front, and then... Yeah, like
0: the enclaves. Yes,
2: yeah. and the Smaller alliance would quickly shuffle around. Yeah, yeah. Us, so. Uh, wow. That was great. Uh, great music.
1: Room. Yeah, it was It was a great place. <laughs> the music was interesting. Very loud. Very loud. Extremely loud. The first night, I mistakenly took a seat just outside one of the enclaves, which happened to be literally sitting on top of the base for the entire
0: of <coughs> Artemis even mentioned, like, man, it feels like the bass is right next <laughs> to me. And I
1: looked, like, right beneath his chair. There it is. I'm yeah. like, well, dude. I was like, my shirt is vibrating on my chest right now. <laughs> What is going on? (laughs) My ears hurt the next morning. It was, but it was fun. Uh, The dancers came out the second night. They weren't there Thursday. They were Friday. and Some shenanigans occurred.
0: Yeah, so Um, the dancers for for this bar, uh, they had two, like, dancing stages, I guess you would call them, about four by four or so, elevated platforms. And they had four girls that would come on, uh, and there would be two, and they rotated in pairs. I wasn't able to tell the interval. It was like already 30, 60 minutes, something like that. Um, it was the same four girls each night. Apparently one of those girls had also danced at the hard bar prior and recognized us from the last year, <laughs> uh, which turned out to be not a bad thing, not a bad thing. Hmm. But, um, yeah, these girls were out there uh, The great outfits and good moves on most of them. Uh, we were, we had Both nothing stuff. to do, we had nothing to do, those of us who weren't drinking, aside from critique the dancers. <laughs> so, after we got done, like, all the hi, how you doings, what have you been up is of all our EFRAs, and we're, you know, hanging around, everybody else is having a good time drinking, we're, like, still talking, looking for new stuff to talk about. So, we began evaluating dancers based <laughs> on not only their physical appearance and outfits, but their dance moves
1: and technical skill. Now, Alec... Did you go and show these dancers how they could improve their skill? Did you give them a lesson in the proper technique?
0: Oh, inevitability and I were doing quite a few <laughs> lessons out there. Uh, inevitability looks like uh, oh, that. What's that correspondent's name from The Daily Show? He's like a he's like total bro. He's got the bro haircut, the bro bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you took him and stuffed him in a frat house right now, he would not look out of place. It just looked like he got held back in a couple of years. Um, but after a couple of drinks got in him last night, he was cutting the rug. <laughs> like, he, without shame, right in front of the dancers. Like, he's got done tipping and flirting with them. And now he's just like, I'm getting down too, man. I'm going. He's throwing his arms around. The hips are moving. I'm like, oh, dude.
1: Now, I, I know an MC Dev shirt managed to make its way onto yeah. one of the dancers. I know that someone managed to get, it wasn't one of the dancers in the bar. It was at Vegas, people will stand outside on the street and attempt to get you to take pictures of them for cash. And somebody will go on a bet to have them get a tattoo on their butt and take a picture of it. And So that has made it round um what else has happened i know one dude literally stuffed a hundred dollars worth of singles into the stockings of one of the dancers so that was that was convention <laughs> and it was my i won't claim credit that was my <laughs> idea
0: the, the story behind the hundred dollar tip was uh, it was me grabbing convention and, Conventia, and like, like going back to the ranking things you noticed that uh, one dancer was not getting any tips mm. compared to the others but we all agreed she was probably the best one just in terms of like sheer moves. it was weird that she wasn't getting any tips. They so are like, huh. I think Conventia floated like, wow, I wonder what she would do if I just gave her a hundred dollars. I was like, you should give her a hundred dollars. <laughs> right now? Let's videotape yeah. it. Let's do all this stuff. Like, get a hundred. It's probably the largest tip she's ever gotten. And like, just give it to her. And then he's like trying to talk to me and grab into matching it. And they're like, ah. Then he goes. Well I don't want to spend 100 dollars so like, okay, what about $50? Okay, what if it's $25 but it's all singles, so it looks like <laughs> we're a thing, what if it's just twenty and then we'll we'll match it, we'll each give two dollars. Like we kept doing these things to try to convince mm-hmm. him to do it. Finally, he is convinced. But at literally as we go up to the cashier to like get Tim twenty dollars of singles, he decides to get a hundred dollars of singles. <laughs> The original idea was one single hundred dollar bill, okay, to be clear. And the idea for the twenty dollars is that he would get the twenty dollars and kind of make it rain, you know, like a cash spitting machine. What actually found up happening was convention got a hundred dollars in singles, walk up to her, and like every thirty seconds would give her one <laughs> to another for like Half an hour. <laughs> and he's just standing there like awestruck <laughs> at this girl.
1: <laughs> so this
0: went on long enough that I, I, I couldn't see the whole thing all the way through. I had to go to bed. <laughs> it's like about halfway through when I stopped. Um, so that happened. Uh, I got to meet a whole bunch of great folks at the bar, um, what are some of the highlights of people that you've met that you that you hadn't met before?
2: Um, I had a great conversation uh, about PvP with Nerf from NC Dot. And of course, the wonderful Lady Scarlet was there. Mm-hmm. And she was wonderful to talk to, as always.
0: Yeah, I think Lady Scarlet was probably the biggest Eve name that I hadn't met yet that I met that day. Uh, I also got to meet Silicon Buddha, Johnny Splunk, which was great. Dunk Dinkle. Um, I got to meet it's always nice to kinda of meet folks that are not super famous as well. Right. Like this minor, Veronica. Um he like makes fuel blocks. So I'm like, hey maybe, you know, make some fuel blocks for us, that kind of thing. You know, his alliance, like no one would ever have heard of it, but he asked a really cool question at a round table session that I was at. And he had a very recognizable outfit and face. <laughs> so I saw him when we were at the bar later and I walked up to him like hey you know we were at the same round table, like a question. Uh I forget exactly what he said, but he sort of mentioned a bit about the background of his corp and it sounded interesting. So we had a cool, like, five, ten minute conversation about his corp, their history, their goals. It's always kind of fun to get that kind of stuff because, you know, I already know what at least Randolph's story is. Like, we've hung out before. I don't know what this high sec miners Eve narrative is. And, <clears throat> uh, shout out to Mike Azariah, who I got to meet again, uh, former host of the show. If you go back in the backlogs, he gave a really cool talk about everybody winning Eve in their own way.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's really great to meet people and figure out, like, what game are they playing? Like, what, what gets them excited about Eve, where do they see themselves in this larger thing. That's always kind of interesting to me. I mean, I had some great
2: conversations um, on around the Blade Runner um, screening. I was at dinner at In-N-Out, and I was waiting for my order, and uh, this guy walks up to me, and he says, uh, I noticed your tag, you know, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm just Winter from Mercenary Coalition. And he goes, oh, I'm moderator. And wow. so oh, wow. in the five minutes I was waiting for, we were waiting for our dinner. We got to talk about E.T. and the commentary and how we did. And it was amazing. That's great. And then on the way to Blade Runner, I happened to be in the monorail with Madderall. So I got to talk to him about how he started talking in stations and how he liked to write. And he all the articles he's produced over the years, and how he finally segued that into a podcast that pretty much I mean everyone listens to. Yeah. So that was it was just awesome, just like these random
0: little sparks that you get just in the oddest of ways. And a big shout out to Matterall, He gave I think one of the best player presentations at Vegas, at least the ones that I attended. By far the most well researched, paced. Uh, I think they gave him a full hour and. I could have sat for another 30, 45 minutes. Um, it was about the history of Eve Wars and Eve Meta. Um, and whether mostly it's the not, war front. Yeah, wh- whether or not it's like
2: one big war or just like the continuum
0: yeah. of wars. I thought you did a great job of stringing a coherent narrative between a lot of like the big kind of fulcrum conflicts that, right. that have. I mean, obviously there are minor things that go on all over the place and it's different for everybody, but mm-hmm. in terms of like a continuation of Empires of Eve, the book, looking at what is the big through line through the game. I thought he did a pretty decent decent job of tracking, like, okay, this happened to these big alliances that caused them to shift here. That made tensions go this way. These were the big defining fights here. The big consequence of that was this, and this alliance moved away and became allies with these guys. Then they regrouped and came back and fought. Like, It was that kind of stuff. Really, really well researched and, and... planned out um I wish I had more time to talk to him after um I just caught him for a few minutes just so I could introduce myself I've been on his podcast I want to get him on this show at some point he's soon. amazing he just absolutely
2: um no eagle at all just loves to yeah. talk to anyone who walks up to him so um it was such a pleasure every time I got to see him he was always like hey winner how are you doing how's Vegas so just those little things that, that really stand out and you really want to keep in contact with that person.
0: Yeah. Artemis, any highlights for you as far as people you met?
1: Yeah, so I am considerably less outgoing and sociable than my two co hosts here. So my interaction with Big Eve names was more sitting with my court mates, seeing one pass by, I'm like, was that moderator? Like, yeah, that was my, was that Chance Yeah, that was Chan- holy cow, was that Lady Yeah, that was Lady Scarlet. And that was my interaction with them. But like just meeting my courtmates, meeting my co-host, Alexia Card, meeting Alliance Mates, Windsor, it was fantastic. The characters that you meet that are either meet your expectations, change your expectations, or just freaking awesome people to meet in real life. Like Kazumka, courtmate of mine. Oh. That guy, <laughs> who, he's Wait, got a, a life of his the people- own
0: like, that I hadn't met this year from Noir were way different than I kind of expected them to be. Bazooka was definitely way different than I expected him to be. You were way different than I expected him to be. Grab was way larger than I expected <laughs> him to be.
2: Bazooka um, and Artemis are, like, on completely different yes. personality scales. They are each other's extreme opposites, and it's mm-hmm.
0: amazing. Bazooka's is, like... kind no of fear. No fear, kind of goofy, like... Totally not serious, totally uninhibited, but not in a lot of obnoxious way. Just in a, like, kind of fun You're being, hey guys, how's it going? Kind of, like, I'll just walk up to you and start conversations, and he doesn't care if he looks ridiculous. <laughs> Artemis, to paint your picture, is, looks like he could be uh, uh, starring in Manchester by the Sea, too. Like, <laughs> he's got the fisherman's hat on, he's very somber, a little bit reserved. Um, definitely not, like, Making the rounds to different closed groups of people talking and like breaking into them. Um, but you know, very thoughtful with everything that he's saying. And then Greb, Greb is like, I kind of expect. He's a Viking man. I expect Greb to look and act more like you in real life. Hmm. But actually Grab is like this gigantic, gentle giant <laughs> which doesn't come across with his voice at all on comms. Like mm-hmm. doesn't seem like it's coming from a very large man. But actually he's taller than Delator, who is the tallest player <laughs> I've met. Uh maybe not the tallest player I've ever met, but certainly the tallest player in Noir. Mm-hmm. Uh so he's a little bit taller than Del, and he's way like just larger. Um and he's got like this cool blonde hair and he's very he Swedish. looks Like
1: he's twenty and Yeah, Yeah. so I
0: expected Greb to look older, shorter, definitely not as big. (laughs) It's like maybe like a thin to average build, like thirty-five or forty-year-old person. No, (laughs) it's not the case. Um, Dell. I mean, no one could be expected to be that tall, but (laughs) he looked. He sounded more or less like he I expected him to look. Uh, uh, oh Sander was here as well
1: he was. Um,
0: and that was a big highlight that I got to meet him um, and we actually I think I met him last year but we this time around we actually got to spend like way more time together and actually mm-hmm. hang out which is cool uh, really awesome dude um, also shout out to Joshua and Fang uh, Fang I had met before super briefly Josh I don't think I had ever met as uh, leadership for Corelli Corp listeners um and i had talked to fang a whole bunch back when he was playing uh i forget exactly what we talked about we always seemed to be in conversations with one another um but then he sort of fell off it was really awesome like see him back at an eve meet and and hang out with him um that we actually wound up spending quite a bit of time together basically spent the whole friday night going down to the old strip getting mm-hmm. a buffet hanging out on the on the strip back and forth, watching live concerts and uh, stripping DJs, and it was like a whole to-do. Uh, it, was, it was quite awesome, and uh, it was usually just a noir thing to go down there, and we were going to bring some of the Alliance along, including Fang and Josh. It was great. As a close, we're getting we're getting toward the end of the show here. Spoiler warning.
1: Well, should we talk about Drea's first?
0: And- oh, we should talk about Drea's, yes. Good call. Uh, we'll
1: talk about it real quick
0: the best party i've ever been to ever
1: the shortest party i've <laughs> ever been to ever <laughs> so
0: definitely... for context the parisian like eiffel tower knockoff place was one thing this dreas was like the music was not as good the perma band live set had lots of technical audio issues with their mics constantly going out but in terms of sheer Like the actual venue, the atmosphere, the layout, the size, the bar positioning, uh, the view from the deck, the light show that they had. And like, there's like an indoor space Mm. and connected to an outdoor space. The outdoor space had a pool and (laughs) beds that you could literally lay in. And the indoor space had like leather booths, like you'd see right out of the matrix with like a dance pit. It was fucking awesome. Uh, if you go to my Twitter, you'll also see a really cool, t- well-timed shot. Better than I could have possibly intended, but I managed to get all the lights when they were yellow, and on, and they were, like, pink, uh, like, de- direct beams shooting down, like, like, basically like purple lasers, like, coming <laughs> out of Unambaddon or something. It looked fucking great. Um, and it was like that. It was just, that's how it was. So, uh, Maybe slightly upgrade the DJ next time, do better sound checks, or get more reliable equipment in there, but, oh man, just definitely blew the old place out of the water. Absolutely. We would have been really packed if we tried to go
2: to a uh, former venue, but, yeah, I mean, I we were there for about an hour, and it was amazing. It was anything you could want in a party. There were so many places to sit to wander around. The view was spectacular, mm-hmm. so... I'm definitely hoping CCP decides to go there again because, yeah, we will be making alternate Alliance dinner plans if they do.
1: Yeah, so, so speaking <laughs> of the Alliance dinner, whose bright idea is to schedule it <laughs> at the start of the dance we, party. <laughs> we scheduled the MC Alliance dinner before the time and date and logistics of the <clears throat> party for Vegas had been announced. And so as it turns out, the Vegas party happened 7 to 10 p.m. on Saturday. And the MC Alliance dinner was 7 to 9 p.m. on Saturday.
0: 9.30 by the time we get there. yeah. yeah. Well, um, They missed the permaband set by like two minutes.
1: We, in the elevator, riding up to the party, which was on the roof, we could hear permaband play their last set. And then as we entered and went down the stairs, we could see them exit the stage. <laughs> and it was interesting going in. Of course, Dre's is considerably more upscale than certainly I am used to. Um, probably a different scene than the majority of you players are familiar with. And as you're entering, there are a bunch of like security guards and everything. It's very clear these people are professional, and they take themselves very seriously, and they have a right to. And so I go in, and I'm getting a stand on my arm, and as CCP mentioned, they're very up are Like They have a dress code. If you're going to be there beyond the time frame, which we're scheduled, you got to follow the dress code. I'm coming right off the MC dinner. I've got my shorts on, right? And I walk up there, and the dude's like, Listen, 30 minutes, you're out of here because you got shorts. I'm like, okay, cool. It's <laughs> fine with me. Now,
0: officially, the other place also had a desco, but I never saw them enforce it. Yeah, they it like never enforce
1: it. This one it was quite strictly enforced. And if I'm honest, I miss Perma Band. I'm sort of without Alec. Like, the music wasn't my thing. The atmosphere, it was a little bit too loud, I think, was the most apt description that I It had was actually for it.
2: quieter than the bar downstairs.
1: Maybe it, it, it was where
0: you were where sitting, you like sat, the booth yes. we were in.
1: Okay, so the first the thing I did when year. I got
0: in was I first thing I did was I wanted to look for maybe other MC people that had skipped the dinner or maybe left early so they could be there. So I wandered the perimeter and I noticed pretty fucking quick, like if you were around the dance floor area or the booze that around, that ringed it, it was super loud. If you got to like the middle, like where it crosses in between the outdoor and the indoor, it was also pretty loud. If you got to the outdoor section or you went to the far edges of the indoor section, there were like two rings of booths. One set kind of overlooked the dance pit area, mm-hmm. and another one was set a lot of feet back. Like, it was a pretty wide walkway, and then like a, an upper layer, like a, like a few steps up, mm-hmm. then there was another ring of booths. If you went to that ring, it was pretty reasonable, and that's sort of where I wound up parking myself to save space for the rest of MC just because, you know, I wanted to make sure we had enough room. Minimum one booth for us, but there were also two other booths that were sparsely populated, so it's kind of keeping my eye on them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But if you were in there or you went to the beds out in the back, like, it was, I mean, we were able to talk pretty comfortably for a club. Yeah. You know, definitely. Wave. And compared to 3535, which did not have, like, the massive sound <laughs> system, unless you were in the booth, Enclave things like it was pretty freaking hard to talk so it the acoustics varied really wildly um,
1: They had these like steam machines that The noise that s- those things made so loud like, it incredibly I abrupt. almost tossed and... my drink the first time I heard it I was like what the
0: fuck is yeah. that Like
1: <laughs> could you imagine being in the dance pit because it's spraying right at the dance pit when that happens but they seem to enjoy it. So
0: I got to wonder if the effect <sighs> is different. Maybe they're just if you're super <laughs>
1: freaking hot. And so that's like a cool mist or something. I maybe know.
0: I was wondering what it actually is. Cause it didn't seem to be fog fog. It dissipated mm, yeah. way too quickly. Yeah. So maybe it's like, like a cool spray. And that's well, why I'm, I'm so What, happy like, what if it? the dance
1: floor gets too slick then? So maybe, yeah, maybe it's not the situation, but
0: hard to tell. Uh, couldn't quite make it out, but, um, if anyone was there and wants to leave a, Thing in the comments about what it was like to be in the pit when you got sprayed. That would be awesome to know. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's a uh, overall it was it was good. How was the MC dinner proper?
1: It, it was, was fantastic. Good awesome. food, great everything all around. Dee did a fantastic job, of course. Celine had his talky talk, embarrassed a few people. Fortunately, no PowerPoint. Yes. You, what are your thoughts?
2: Uh, it was great. <clears throat> it was great. I mean, if we were sitting. It didn't matter really where we had dinner. I mean, the company is what makes it, and just having dinner every year with your alliance mates and going over what you did the year before and a vision for MC ahead. It's great. It was was awesome. All
0: right. Um, So now let's get into... Spoiler warning. If you have not seen Blade Runner 2049... Hmm. Uh, good hunting, listeners. <laughs> probably <laughs> you should probably turn off the podcast right now. I will not get mad at you. However, if you have seen it or don't give a fuck, uh, we're going to go through our thoughts on the movie. Uh, there was a charity screening for Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's like the capstone of the whole experience. Aside from the bar at three five three five, or the party at the bar, just going on right now at three five three five, which we will be joining as soon as we get done the show. Um, it was like the Capstone official event. Um, CCP arranged it. We raised about $5,000 just there for charity. Total charity raise was over $16,000. Um, some of it for Vegas Strong, some of it for Able Gamers, which is pretty freaking great. Yeah. Um, for, for the Blade Runner thing proper, uh, you were able to buy a ticket ahead of time, or you could do a $100 like, super ticket. And uh, You got a uh, signed oh, got picture from, here.
2: yeah, so all the VIP people, um, participants got a signed uh, memorabilia from um, the CCP devs, both here and in Iceland, and then uh, four lucky people got some Blade Runner swag.
0: And the idea was that we had a private screening, so it was only FanFest attendees. The ticker on the movie entrance actually read CCP Games instead of the movie title, which is kind of neat. I saw Falcon taking a little picture of it. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, that'll show up in a blog somewhere. Um, Oh, by the way, shout out to to Falcon and Guard and and the CCP community team. They really knocked it out of the park this year. Um, Anyway, uh, so we all sat in for 2049. It was quite the long movie, but uh, I was not bored at any point. No, at all. Uh, we have some very conflicting <laughs> views.
1: Can you tell by the
0: sound? <laughs> First, we'll go over the basic plot, and then we'll, we'll get into it. The idea is that there is uh, a, news, a new company that is producing replicants. They still have people hunting down the older models, which had indefinite lifespans and were prone to rebellion. Um it opens with Ryan Gosling playing a replicant, one of the newer models that's hunting down the older models for the uh, future LAPD, basically. Uh, he fights Dave Batista, which is a pretty nice little cameo from him. Uh, great acting by Batista, who does not get enough credit. Um, he's often well, at least prior to Guardians of the Galaxy. was typecast as, like, he couldn't be anything but, like, a wrestler-type character. That's right. He was how he got his career start. He is a large individual, very muscular, huge guy. Um, really remarkable acting, range. Right. Absolutely. Um, that was good. He showed it a little bit with Drax, but it's almost kind of played for laughs. This one was a very serious, very emotional role, even though it was brief. Absolutely. Uh, I was very impressed. And... Totally, it was great like the this I think the movie had a great sense for like atmosphere and, and kind of visual setting stage with sound and striking the visual color, design and I think color was yes. the
1: biggest proponent of setting the atmosphere in this film the way that they handled the palette for any particular scene gave a mm-hmm. huge setting and set you up to understand and empathize 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 (laughs) with the characters in the scene it was very well done in that regard
2: the Uh, cinematography blew me away um you could definitely tell the themes of the movie um very cold and clinical uh grungy you know post-apocalypse to like very desert apocalypse um flawlessly
0: done absolutely amazing there are themes of bleakness coming in it was the opening scene goes from the main character flying over a solar fields, which is actually weird because when I was driving with Dell we actually passed by a modern version of this of mm-hmm. the same structure. It's in the desert between here and LA. Uh, and what it does is collects the solar energy and focuses it toward a central tower that apparently has water inside of it that boils. Uh-huh. And the solar beams are so concentrated that birds flying through will literally be cooked alive. <sighs> wow. Uh, And so the opening shot is there is not just one of these things in the desert, but there's like several of them stacked next to each other. Uh, In fact, it looks and positionally might be, uh, based on the scope of the film, could be that actual location, but they sci-fied it up and increased the scale and kind of, (laughs) like you said, the grunginess of it. It looked right. It was, it was advanced and futuristic, but in a kind of a grimy way. Kind of like post-apocalyptic Japanese slum. Yes. Yeah. Like a ghost in the shell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. Um, very well done. The interaction between the replicants and the uh, other AI between the, the characters um, was flawless. Absolutely amazing. Played um,
0: with well, some interesting ideas there. but right? So... So he goes through, he captures, well, he attempts to capture Batista. winds up having to kill him. Uh, During his inspection of the scene, he notices a clue that someone looks at a place. And by following that up, he sort of led into the larger plot, which is, uh, there seems to be evidence of a replicant birth, which is not supposed to be possible. It's kind of like a Jurassic Park, life finds a way situation where these... Uh, artificially constructed beings are supposed to be not designed to breed, may find a way to breed, the knowledge of which could have very drastic implications for what they are. Like, are they a disposable slave labor force that we're merely manufacturing, or did we actually create a whole sentient race, and these are actually real people? Right. Um, that's, that's sort of a, a question that is now like immediately on the doorstep if they can affect kids. Uh, and for their own end, like they're no longer dependent on people to make more of themselves, which kind of gives them a new leather, layer of autonomy. So there are big consequences there. The police task him with finding this uh, the, the offspring, and there's some evidence that this kid is now grown up because it happened pretty old. Thirty farm. years ago. Yeah, thirty years
2: ago, basically. Um, and the uh, Tyrell Corporation is very interested in finding as well, because as you will find out, the main drive for the the ceo is to have uh replicants reproduce without the manufacturing part of it so yeah it's worth
1: noting that both the protagonist and the antagonist want the same thing the same thing yeah. but for different reasons the it's not the tyrell tyrell was previous it's the wallace oh company. that's right yeah, that's yeah right they want the reproduction so that they can manufacture and create armies of these uh replicants Whereas the protagonists, including dude with the beard, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, thank you. Um, they wanted to blur the line between human and replicant, basically to say, what is it that separates you and us? And obviously there are all of the cultural and social and class based commentaries that go with that.
0: Well actually Ryan Gosling's side, at least initially, like his bosses are afraid of that Yeah, outcome. I mean,
1: like, his post-end-of-foot They, post-end of foot
0: they want to, ki- like, his initial mission is to kill this kid, not mission. just to find them, but to erase any trace of its right. existence, because the mere knowledge of it could amp- bring up these questions, which, you know, the police and the government at large would you know, quite not like to really, not have yes. happen. Yes. Um, but on the other side of it, I, I was a little bit confused at first of Leto's, uh, Leto plays the, the main villain here, Jared Leto
2: perfectly absolutely very well brilliant.
0: he's like a blind inventor kind of thing which is a neat yeah it's like a cyborg almost i think he was, was
1: in fact a cyborg yes like by definition a yeah cyborg.
0: <laughs> so he has like uh, he's blind but he has a, a wireless chip or something where he can connect with these floating cameras which are used in some creepy interesting ways um but his idea is that he can't manufacture enough replicants to possibly meet the demands And he also has some ideas of like replicants being the force that enables like conquest of the galaxy almost like they enabled humanity to spread to colony systems, but only a few. And he has dreams of like colonizing everywhere. And at first it didn't make sense of like why, if your whole purpose of your company is manufacturing these things, why would you want them to be able to manufacture themselves? But... He clearly has this kind of ego-destiny element to it. That's definitely there. Like, he's clearly drinking his own Kool-Aid in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, uh, playing God with it. Um, But they don't... He doesn't outright say that he is God, but, like, you can kind of pick it up through his acting decisions and through some of the choices he makes later. There's also an element of, like, he treats them so disposably during the course of the film Again, without even saying it, just like the subtext is, he would like them to breed as a manufacturing strategy. Like, I can't physically assemble them fast enough, but if I can get them to, like, force them to breed with each other and, like, use that as manufacturing as well, basically just having baby farms of replicants, which is pretty sick. It doesn't need to be said that that's his plan. You can kind of infer that that's his plan mm-hmm. because he treats them like trash constantly.
1: Yeah. So can we we've we've hyped it up enough? We've we've uh, sugar coated and
2: oh my uh, gosh, put ours. it on a
1: pedestal. Can we have a conversation? Let's now? go, man. Okay. You, winner, and I both loved it uh, so. with one.
0: Pretty significant plot hole for me, but we can talk about it later if it doesn't come up. Artemis fucking right.
1: hated it. Let's see what's <laughs> I didn't, going on. I didn't freaking hate it. It had it good and it's bad, but overall it had more bad than good. Okay, right wow. off the bat, wow. right, this is a longer than average movie by any stretch of the imagination. What was totally... Nearly like three two, hours. Nearly three hours. First scene, text on the screen. I'm... <laughs> This is film. This is going to
2: be forever. This is (laughs) film. This is another podcast.
1: And your first scene is explaining the setting. Like in text, not even you're showing us what's going on. You're literally expecting us to read. I'm like, okay, you can utilize some inferred knowledge based on people seeing the previous film, or you can have some dialogue or some interaction between characters to show us that replicants and humans are distinct, and replicants are being manufacturers, they're forced labor, whereas humans are their controllers, and maybe the Wallace Corporation in relation to the Tyrell Corporation. This is all stuff that's exposition in text on the screen, which is difficult to read for me, and I, it infuriated me, especially because of the long running time. And then it took like four seconds. Yeah, but you had an hour or two more than any other movie would, and you still have to do that. Oh my, my, guys.
0: my biggest gripe with the text um, was, one, it was an obvious call-out to the original film. The reason why they put it in there is because the original film was 30 years ago. It's a call-out because they're like, oh, uh, the people that hunt these older models down are still called Blade Runners. Mm-hmm. Except the word Blade Runner doesn't factor in anywhere else in the film. That well, I think it is mentioned
1: multiple times like as a slur. And uh, no, you know, sort of under hushed breath of why you should stay away from. Yeah, oh, it Oh, was... that's right. Okay, never mind. I take that back. But what, what? one thing that definitely I don't take
0: back and will not take back is that everything that they put into the text, aside from maybe the name, which again, you know, could have just been references to his occupation generally of like a police officer or, or a hunter of some <clears> kind, <throat> all the things they mention, like the one corp going out of business and having to sell its stuff. The fact that they're slave labor, the fact that their older models were, you know, being hunted down and worked differently than newer ones, all that stuff is actually mentioned and referenced quite well in the actual film. So it didn't really need to be there, but it was only like five or ten seconds, so it, it took literally nothing theory. away from the movie. <laughs>
1: On the same tone of, like, this is something you could show me as opposed to tell me. You could use an opening scene, a setting scene, if you will. I swear, the first half of the film, every single opening scene where you'd expect, like, a shot showing us where the character is, what's the setting, give me an atmosphere, blatant product placement. You've got Sony shown on the screen, and you're being yelled at, Sony, Sony in some foreign language, Sony, Sony in some foreign language, you've got... You're expecting to see some like urban landscape and big holographic Coca Cola can. It's like, come on, guys. This is how big of a franchise, and we're looking into the distant future, and you're trying to give us this grungy, sort of very serious atmosphere, and (coughs) that bright product placement right in our face. Like, some of the stuff made sense. It gave us the atmosphere, it gave us a sense of the characters' personalities and what they struggle with like the scene with the holographic naked chick with the blue hair and the dude on the bridge, like that told us something about his character. The rest of this is just blatant product placement, which in my opinion obstructed your ability to get into the atmosphere of the
2: film I didn't really think about that at all. I thought it was a good tie to what we know and what we interact with every day. And so it set it in the course of a realistic timeline of yeah, 30 years from now, you're going to be walking down the street and you're going to see Sony holograms and Coca Cola holograms. So I didn't, that, I thought it was really, um, I thought it wasn't bad.
0: And, and my view is they, they did splice it in with some futuristic things, like there were Russian companies, which I, I couldn't read. Um, there yeah. were Russian, Korean, Chinese, and Japanese brands or products also being put in there again. It sort of reminded me of a ghost in the shellish type thing. Yeah. Uh, but it did have these tie-ins where you did see Coke and you did see Sony. So to me, it felt more like they were making a statement about you know, uh, the, the way corporations would be like intruding and projecting into people's lives. Yeah. With, like Winner said, like, touch, keeping a through line of like not just having this general statement, but tying it in specifically to things we might recognize from the modern day probably is product placement i thought it was done in a way which actually had something to say about it and i think because they spliced in some of these futuristic brands Mm or the fact that it had a much higher foreign language component than our current advertisement also said there's some time progression here here are some companies and products you don't recognize because they haven't been invented yet but here are some brands that are like still around because you why would Coca-Cola not exist in thirty years? Like right. doesn't make any
1: sense. I guess I guess you could read it like that, and it would make it less of an affront to the medium. But affront <laughs> <A> to <laughs> the medium. Let's get into something which I think is far less uh, subjective, and that okay. was their use of flashbacks and everything to spoon feed you the story arc and when. Characters make decisions So like when dude figures out that the chick who makes memories is the daughter Which this whole thing is about the, the born replicant Instead of just letting you figure that out on your own once you get the final piece of the puzzle instead They go through and repeat like literally just flash on the screen <laughs> every single other puzzle piece in order mm-hmm. So there is no ambiguity whatsoever it's like the final piece, puzzle piece goes together. You get this weird look on his face and then suddenly flashback, 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 no ambiguity. I'm like, you need to have some faith in your audience to, in order to understand what's going on here. And it just immediately took me out of being able to empathize with this guy and working through what it was that was going on, what he just discovered, because it's just right there spoon fed to me when uh, he makes a decision not to kill Harrison Ford and all of a sudden you have the flashback and the audio form of him talking with his robot lover about whatever wanting to be special. Or when No, when he joins the Replicant Rebellion is when you get that audio cue. It's like they're spoon-feeding you all of the puzzle pieces such that there is zero ambiguity whatsoever on what the most obvious theme and message is and moreover, when people make decisions. Like if I were to contrast, it, there's a scene in one of the Godfather films where the guy who's never worked for the mafia before makes the decision or is hired by the mafia or is forced to work for the mafia off another guy and no dialogue in the entire particular section of the scene where he makes the decision, but purely through his acting and moreover his body language and the change in the music you can tell the immediate instant when he makes a decision to shoot this guy and to kill him, which is a huge plot point. And it's all done through acting and through audible medium. That is not just spoon feeding you literally directly repeating what you saw previously. I think that's the way it should be done. And the way they did in this film just angered me and frustrated me. It's like you have zero faith in or respect for the intelligence of your viewers.
2: I could see that. I could see that looking, looking back, um, I could have done without, yeah, the frame-by-frame puzzle pieces splitting in, because you're supposed to be keeping that in your head about um, certain things that she
0: alluded to. So I could, I could get that. I I see that point of view. I don't think it's that insulting, given the length of the film and yeah. where, that, where the different puzzle pieces are. They're quite front-loaded, actually. And then there's a large sequence of him pursuing the mystery behind things. Uh, like going to see Harrison Ford, there's a lot of action, there's a lot of stuff that happens in between and given it's a three-hour film, I did not feel particularly insulted at how they replayed things in that way and then added in the new piece of information that kind of makes everything click. It was a little, I would agree, that it was a little overdone in that I did make a good point when characters come to very important decision points, you're almost in their head, hearing, like, the line repeat or the image that would flash through their head of, like, oh, this was the thing that I, that I thought of or that this reminds me of that makes me think I should make a certain decision. On the one hand, that's kind of putting you in the character's place, but on the other hand, it's very blatant, and I will say that the strength of the acting in the film by all the lead, just about every character, I don't think I was disappointed at all. I think they could have had more faith in the actors yeah. to have gotten that across. I didn't feel like it was insulting to the audience, if anything. I felt like they were afraid that the actors couldn't carry those moments, but they totally could have. Like, you could watch those scenes on mute and you'd be perfectly fine. My biggest issue, comes with the puzzle pieces... So the, I'm glad we gave a spoiler warning. So the the memory maker is the daughter. Mm -hmm. It is a daughter and not a son. Like for the majority of the film, you are under the impression that Ryan Gosling is in fact the child that he's been hunting for this entire time. That act is actually told to you pretty early. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the film, like the whole middle act is him trying to escape the consequences of that. The Beginning of the third act is when he finds out that's not actually the case. That uh, it was a daughter, not a son, that the two records, one of which was real and one of which was fake, the real one is the daughter version that was listed as deceased, where the son went missing. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is what leads you to think that the, the son was the one that was real. And also there were some some memory games played. To me, it just was, and I heard Celine's theory about this as well, but it just doesn't jive with me that. Why would he have her memory in the first place? There's a whole scene where they talk to each other, and he is curious if this memory is in fact real. He finds Mm -hmm. the artifact, finds this toy horse that he had memory of hiding as a child. Of course, he's a replicant, so he was never a child or shouldn't have been, so this memory had to have been faked, except he actually finds the horse, Mm -hmm. which is exactly as he remembered with the number carved in it that he remembers having it carved in, this is a real thing that really happened. He is almost positive. So he goes to talk to this person who's an expert in designing memories for replicants, and she's in this, like, hermetically sealed holographic projection room uh, because apparently she has a compromised immune system or something, which seems pretty clearly like a plot device in hindsight to just keep her isolated Mm -hmm. from the world. It's a great idea. Um, (coughs) So she looks at his memory... And it, it, it did immediately strike me as like her reaction was way off for what it should have been. So I was immediately suspicious of that, but didn't quite make the whole leap. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was a well-laid clue for me there. But it doesn't make any fucking sense of why she would use her own memory for this one particular replicant. She even comments no, that it's so illegal to use
1: real memories. That's the thing, right? And they give it to you when he's, number one, when he's making his decision to join the replicant army and i think as well when he is sort of putting the puzzle pieces together that he thinks he is this person and they literally flash back to the moment when she says a piece of the memory maker always lands in the memory yeah but that's the the end of it but this wasn't just furthermore
0: this was a whole thing
1: well yeah furthermore they also have where when he is talking with the replicant army leader quote-unquote the chick with the missing eye uh She's like, you thought you were the one, didn't you? Right. And everybody else, you can tell by the framing and the acting, and she even says everybody wishes they were the one. Right. It didn't just go to him. It went to everyone as a result of this, what she literally explicitly says, a piece of the memory maker always ends up in. The so in thing. other words they all believed. The they all believed the at one memory. point or another. They all got this memory, a piece of the memory maker. And, and that's why the they memory. went
0: to the army. Okay, okay, okay. But so, that was you know, another right. one of
1: the big abrupt things. I'm like, guys, why are you I'll giving this that. to me? But apparently it was useful. I don't
0: know. I, yeah, it was not clear to me but on the on the first watch, but that that kinda makes that kinda makes sense. And the framing which I was not thinking about at the time. But that, that kinda makes sense. Yeah, I guess just no one else was in a position to be like a police officer on working mm-hmm. a case
1: and just happens to trigger all this stuff. All right. I didn't okay. get why okay. the police officer let him go instead of just killing him.
0: Because she, cause he was her favorite.
1: He's a machine. Well, not but her, they had. manufactured. They work. had
0: clearly had establishing scenes prior that she had blurred the line between him being a machine versus like a... Uh, at friend or You're real right person. There. She even yeah. comments like, you know, sometimes I wonder with you. Or, mm-hmm. And you kind of get there might even be some romantic tension there. That's what I picked up anyway. Where, like,
2: I thought that in hindsight, looking back at that, I think when she said, there's something more about you, it would kind of play into the thing that he wasn't just a pure replicant. Right. He would look back and go, oh, I am the one because you know, people would notice that, and his boss noticed that. So I thought it was just one of those really small, like, it was probably just like a red herring.
0: Oh, it definitely was. It's like, this information will reinforce what the audience thinks they know. Right. And perhaps what the character thinks he knows, but like the character saying it doesn't know. Um, But she makes a a thing when she's drinking in his apartment, like, what happens if I finish that bottle? To me, that was like, sort of a setup for them hooking up, but she was trying to test the waters Oh, that.
2: yeah! Okay, I don't know if okay. I was maybe reading
0: into that too okay. much, but that was sort of how I took it. Okay. No, I got
1: a very similar thing from that. I, well, <laughs> and I so there's
0: that this, this romantic couldn't. thing, and then, like, he did feed her a lie that, hey, I actually mm-hmm. killed this child for you, and maybe that... The implication is, like, that's what's messing me up. So she goes, okay, I did ask you to do this thing. You do have kind of this thing going, you did a big favor for me, I'll give you a favor in return. Person who I keep forgetting is a disposable slave labor guy. Mm -mm. I will return the gratitude of of like you doing this really off the books mission for me by going, All right, you got 48 hours, get your head back in the game, and then before they
1: do anything to you. Yeah. So I I didn't really have a problem with that. Um, So the major plot hole, which I thought you were going to talk about, but you mentioned a different one. The tracking, she, the policewoman had tracking on Brian Gosling's character, and that's how...
2: That was the Replicate Army. No,
1: that was not. the police person They, as were, well. they were tracking separate. the car. The Replicate okay. lady had the little silver thing, which she pulled out of his pocket when he landed in their base, and then they also had on the computer screen at the police station.
0: Right, they weren't the tracking. tracking him, they were tracking
1: the police car. Okay. Which makes total sense. Okay, is that the case? I yeah. thought it was him. Okay, no, they are tracking mind. his vehicle. It's not, well, no, it still is a plot hole, because then he takes his vehicle, when he takes Harrison Ford, he takes him in his vehicle it's to see session. his daughter. Yes. <laughs> it's like you are literally, you know that's how they tracked you yes. to that location, and you take it anyway to the location of his daughter. Are you insane? <laughs> this is... It was a bad... Yeah, it was, uh, And to top it off, think. that's just where the movie ends. Like, we were talking with Celine, and he was so angry that it ended on this cliffhanger. It's like, and the police should come in and blow the whole place up, right? <laughs> that's totally what should happen if the next movie gets made. It should be thirty second long. It should be a massive Michael Bay explosion fest, and then roll credits, because that's what's gonna happen, because they have his location. We know that they can have his location. He just gave them everything that they want. <laughs> <laughs> so the police
0: not being there immediately is a slight thing, I guess, slight, but slight. you got to keep in mind that no one else aside from the chief of police knew about this entire situation because she kept it all under wraps, right. and she was killed. So as far as anyone else knows, he's just kind of
1: a haywire. Yeah, but the corporation has access to it. Right, as soon as that uh, robot chick got access to police person's computer. That was from that particular terminal. It's not like she had it in perpetuity and then she no died. Way to and she got it. killed. Like she didn't upload it to wherever? Like are it's these, still a police computer. The they do scrub them and check. But they have somehow managed to not have the proper mm-hmm. security things to I
2: think I think she took it and it was just contained to her.
1: But then, then how they- did they have live tracking? Like how did like they were able to follow him to Harrison Ford's place? Like he, was he wasn't at there. Harrison's Ford Place long enough for them to get there. He was
2: mm-hmm. though. Yeah. They tracked
1: his car to
0: Las Vegas. They sent the three or four attack cars okay, there, guess. and then they dropped those drones to scan the city, I and the drone found the, them in the building. The
1: stupidest evil villains ever! If they did not take this, it's the
0: stupidest hero ever. Because why would you take the car that you know is getting tracked to the thing? The only reasonable thing would be he figured that the chief of police is the only person who could track him. It seemed like it was a kind of a command console type right. situation, and she wouldn't either. Wouldn't be looking for him, or wouldn't be looking for him for two days. Yeah. Still a poor decision, but maybe he didn't have any other option to get out there. Yeah. Well, no, I'm talking. There.
1: He takes the same car with Harrison Ford to the daughter at the end. Well, again, seem. he might not have any other option. No, because the the people just found him. Like, drop the car and pick up another one or something, dude. There weren't like flying cars all over. It's <laughs> like. The
0: yeah. only people that seemed to have them were the police and the mega corporation okay. that was chasing yeah. them.
1: Spend an extra 10 to 15 minutes to find <laughs> a car to Or bring the entire evil villain corporation to exactly what they want, which is exactly what you don't want. I'll I mean, why, did you my bring my the po- why would you bring
0: the police to the thing? It's the only thing. Like, you would presume... The police wouldn't know. Well, they knew that he was off his baseline and they
2: wanted him. Well, and then there's something that the daughter said that she subcontracts her work for Watson because she does all
0: the memories for the replicants so they know she's there. Yeah that's not they just don't know her significance. Right. And the only person that would is dead. I mean yeah so I don't I think in the grand scheme of things
1: all right. All I mean, it, right. Does, I get it. it does. You guys like, like the movie, and I'll just let it drop, even though. Well, I mean, it is uh, clear
0: the only the only thing that seemed really out of place is the whole replicant army thing. That was clearly shoehorned in for there to be a third movie. But right. That whole plot line could have been dropped entirely, and nothing would have been gone. That would have been a good thirty minutes off the runtime. That would have been perfectly fine with. It. But if we're gonna get another Blade Runner, that's like a Westworld type robot <laughs> uprising. I'm game for that shit. Let's go. Just please
2: respect
1: your audience a little bit more or trust your actors. (laughs) Don't make me read text on a movie screen. Thanks.
0: Okay. So if you're like Artemis and you hate title crawls with with context framing text on it, do not go see Blade Runner. (laughs) The worst If you're one of the rest of the 95% of the population (laughs) that doesn't mind it, Uh, Or may even appreciate such things, please go see Blade Runner. It was fantastic and definitely deserves your money.
1: And before I hear the comments, Star Wars is a stylistic text crawl. This is not a stylistic text crawl. This does not fit with the universe. This is literally, these guys could not... Give it to you in the full three hour runtime, and so they had to and again, stick it in your face. My issue is they did give it all to us in the three hour Well, run then time. why do you need the text? You didn't, but it was okay. like five seconds long. That ruined the whole movie for you? Honestly, it wouldn't, no, it gives you a sour taste like right s- at the beginning.
2: I saw half of the original Blade Runner, and after that text, I knew exactly where this movie was placed, and I knew of my brief prior movie experience, like, okay. There's the corporation that produces these things. There's the Blade Runners that kill them. You know, okay, I'm caught up. And so I was ready to go. And I think that's why they had it, just to catch the people up who watched the original Blade Runner. Because I only watched half and I was there. And I had no problem following along.
1: And I mean, of course, to our listeners, watch the movie because it, of course, has commentary on all sorts of other issues. There's obvious things as far as sexual identification. What is human? What is not human? What is sentient? What is not sentient? Oh, I Social think it's great. Class, Excellent. Uh, freaking racial issues. Everything yeah. like that. It's all in there. Plenty of discussions to be had about it. Besides our uh, disagreements over certain. So I, of I will say
0: things that that were not great. Uh, the soundtrack. Way too over the top. I don't know if it was. Just I think it's just we the theater was just
1: too loud. I the think bass. If you had that. It in a was proper. Really if you had that with proper levels, Lons. I think it was better. Hans Zimmer, tone it down. A little too much. Was easier. he really the? Um... Yeah. Oh wow.
0: So you could tell it was like Hans Zimmer. It's like you know that stuff you do with basses <laughs> in your tracks, all that. No strings. <laughs> just all bass, bass and synth, and just turn it up to eleven. Let's go. Uh, the other thing was I liked. So they had good cinematography, like you said, but I did feel at certain points it was a little overdone, particularly in the cityscapes. They A lot of long, lingering shots on really tall, massive buildings. Yeah. With massive
1: Coke cans on them. Mm.
0: Sometimes, but sometimes <laughs> not. Um, yeah. The way I took it was that they were trying to show... Even that even if these cool, interesting things are happening, like this could be the dawn of a new race of humans almost, that it was still like insignificant compared to these larger structures yeah. and what they represented, which is like um, you know, corporations or just
2: Though the region of corporations world.
0: and how the influence they had on the population, maybe. Or just the stand-in for the universe in general, like these are these massive monolithic structures. And as the camera pans out, you see the main character's futuristic, awesome cars just a blinking light compared to the sheer scope of them, which was cool and interesting to think about. But when you're talking a three-hour runtime, maybe cut out a couple minutes of that stuff. I think it still would have come through just as strong didn't need to be repeated as much, but that's a fair bit of nitpick for me. Um, Final thoughts, winner, on Vegas in general?
2: It was amazing. Uh, This is only my second year, but um, I'd love pretty much every bit of it. So 10 out of 10 would do again.
1: My first time at any sort of meet, including Vegas, um, good time. I'd do it again, provided the right people were there. (laughs) Uh, I enjoyed it very
0: much. I actually enjoyed it much more than last year. Uh, my first Eve Vegas was, was pretty special. This year was is was up there. Um, would definitely come again. And I hope to see my audience there. I love people coming up to me and saying they listened to the show and that it was important to them or got them into the game, got them back to the game. Uh, always go to these Eve meets and have a couple people come up and tell me that. So. Uh, that's it for us, guys. Now this is a long episode. This is like a Blade Runner length episode, <laughs> but hope you enjoyed it. We had tons to talk about and tons to share with you.
1: And no blatant product placement.
0: Okay. Uh, Tweet the giant go. Twitch <laughs> slash Alec uh, <laughs> Twitter.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, with that, it we're gonna wrap it up before it hits the three hour mark. Uh, good hunting, listeners. Fly safe.